This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. What I'm not sure about is if our lives have been so different from the lives of the people we save. We all complete. Maybe none of us really understand what we've lived through or feel we've had enough time. It's Never Let Me Go, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. Quick editor's note before we get going. Uh, We're back on the old mics. I didn't like the new mics. They didn't have quite capture the timbre that I wanted. So we're going back to the old mics for now. Uh, that's why it sounds a little bit different again. But it sounds like it did for like most of the show's history. So there you go. We have every single one of our segments. So we're going to get right into it with Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. If you have not read or watched Never Let Me Go, here is a brief summary sourced from wikipedia and this one actually is fairly brief it actually does a pretty good job of just (laughs) summarizing things and not like doing every single detail from the film a medical breakthrough has extended the human lifespan beyond 100 years in 1978 the young kathy h along with her friends tommy d and ruth c spend their childhood at halesham a traditional boarding school the teachers called guardians encourages students to be health conscious and create artwork. The best of which is accepted into the gallery run by the mysterious madame. They have little other contact with the world beyond the school's fences. Miss Lucy, a perceptive new guardian tells her class that they exist to be organ donors and are designed destined to die or complete early in their adulthoods. She is quickly fired by the headmistress, Miss Emily. As time passes, Kathy grows attracted to Tommy and Ruth wins him, but Ruth wins him for herself despite having engaged in teasing him. Seven years later, Kathy, Ruth, Tommy, now young adults, are rehoused in the cottages on a farm where they are allowed to drive away on day trips, but they remain reclusive, lacking the social skills or lacking social skills and resigned to their fate. The trio meet others from similar schools who claim that Hailsham students are privileged, and it is revealed that they are all clones. They discuss rumors of deferrals to organ donations that might be granted to clones who are in love and the nature of the people they were cloned from, whom they unsuccessfully search for in books and out at the seaside. Tommy, still partnered with Ruth, is convinced that the gallery serves as verification for deferrals since artwork reveals the soul and laments his lack of creativity. Ruth spites a lonely Kathy, claiming that Tommy never thought of her as more than a friend. Kathy leaves, enlisting as a post-operative carer for her fellow clones. Another nine years later, Kathy has watched many donors gradually die as their organs are harvested. Having not seen Ruth or Tommy since she left the cottages, she she comes across Ruth frail after two donations. They seek out Tommy to make a nostalgic seaside trip. Ruth reveals that she only seduced Tommy because she was afraid to be alone and that she is consumed with guilt and wishes to help Tommy and Kathy seek a deferral. She leaves them with the address of Madame, uh, Madame, who she believes has the power to help them and soon dies on the operating table. Kathy and Tommy finally enter a relationship and Tommy explains to Kathy, now his carer, that he has been creating artwork in the hope that it will earn them their deferral. 
The couple successfully bring it to bring the artwork to Madame, but she remains distant, suddenly inviting Miss Emily to come and speak to them. They reveal that they reveal the deferrals are indeed a myth and that the gallery was merely curated to affirm the basic humanity of clones in a wide appeal for their ethical treatment. Hailsham, now shut down, was the last institu- institution to value young clones as all but human. Kathy and Tommy leave in disappointed silence, but Tommy explodes with grief and anger mid-journey as he used to as a child. Tommy dies on his fourth donation, leaving Kathy alone as hers begin. Contemplating the ruins of her childhood, she questions in voiceover how different her life has been from normal people's. That is a summary of Never Let Me Go. We have, like I said, every single segment... So we're going to get right in to guess who. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. She had a squat, almost bulldoggy figure and odd black hair. When it grew, it grew upwards, so it never covered her ears or her chunky neck. I have no idea who, who this could be. Um, trying to think. I, obviously our main character is Ruth Kathy. Kathy I I know is the narrator, I would assume similar to the uh the film. Uh so it's probably not her. Uh this does not remotely sound like Ruth like at all cuz Ruth is uh <laughs> is Kira Knightley, but she does have dark hair and it's cuz it doesn't also doesn't fit any of the other like characters that I can think of. I guess I'll say it's Ruth, but I find that surprising. It's not Ruth. Uh, this is Miss Lucy. Oh, uh, okay. Also doesn't really. No. Doesn't really fit uh, Sally Hawkins. No. At all. No, Sally Hawkins is not squat, bulldoggy figured or have weird, odd hair. Like, uh, no. <laughs> Sally Hawkins is an angel. I don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely did not follow the description in the book for her character casting in this one. Okay. But uh, yeah, fair enough. All right, up next. She was a tall, narrow woman with short hair, probably quite young still, though at the time we wouldn't have thought of her as such. She always wore a sharp gray suit. So this one I think I know. Uh, It it could be one of two main people. I think um, the two it would be would either be um, Miss Emily, who is like the head mistress of the school, or Madam, uh, who is the person who runs the gallery. I am inclined to say, because I think she does wear a gray suit, that this is Miss Emily, the headmistress. This is actually Madam. Okay. It was one of the two. I just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could have swore that Miss Emily, like, wears, like, a gray suit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they both do. I don't remember. But, yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, I knew it was one of the two. Okay. Last one. She wasn't especially tall, but something about the way she carried herself, always very straight with her head right up, made you think she was. She wore her silvery hair tied back, but strands were always coming loose and floating around her. Okay, well, I gotta assume that this is probably Miss Emily, because I'm trying to think of who else it could be, and there's not really anybody jumping out at me as to, like, main characters that would be important uh, that we haven't mentioned. Again, it could could be Ruth, but she doesn't have silvery hair. I guess it could be Ruth, but I'm, I'm inclined to say that this is Miss Emily. It is Miss Emily. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think she does have like silvery hair. She's you know yeah. middle aged in the when the story starts. So, all right, I have lots of questions. Let's get into it. In was that in the book? 
Nicolas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So the film opens up on Carrie Mulligan, who plays Kathy. Uh, she is, <clears throat> we'll find out later, she is a carer is, who is somebody who helps the uh, the people, who, the, the clones who do the donations, the organ donations, kind of helps them through their care after their surgeries. And she is watching Andrew Garfield, who we know nothing about their relationship at this point, um, kind of being put onto an operating table. And we hear her voiceover. And she kind of talks about how she thinks now she looks uh, backward more than forward. I actually have the quote here in a minute. We'll talk about specifically what the quote is. Um, but she kind of starts reminiscing about her past and specifically the past of herself, Tommy and Ruth, which are the three friends that we follow for the majority of the story. Um, and so the film does this kind of like uh, we start at the end and then come back to it eventually. Then we jump back in time and then come back kind of almost like a frame story. It's not it's nonlinear, but it's not like it doesn't yeah. like we jump around in time. We just start towards the end. And we kind of loop back, loop back and then catch back up to where we started, which I'm sure has a specific, there's a specific name for that type of nonlinear. There's gotta be. And I don't know what it is where we start at. Like, basically if a story is A, B, C, D, E, we start at like D. Yeah. Loop back to A and then then follow through, make our way back to back to D and then forward from there to finish out. Well, very common, obviously, uh, Mm -hmm. but I want to know if the book follows a similar. And again, I know there's, I'm sure there's a specific name for that, but um, does the book follow that kind of similar structure for how the story is told? So the book does have a similar nonlinear structure. It's structured around this idea of Kathy, like reminiscing and looking back on her life uh, there are a couple exceptions from the way that the movie's structured. One is that Tommy's already dead at the beginning of the book. Oh, okay. So we don't pop back to, like, right as he's about to die, basically. Yeah. Uh, the other is that the book jumps around more. Um, the movie, like we just said, is more or less linear yeah. once we go back to Kathy's childhood and then works its way back to the opening scene. The book is not really set up like that. We kind of jump around quite a bit okay. in the book. If I'm being honest, I preferred the movie's approach. The book, it, it wasn't, it was fine, yeah. but it also used this kind of specific device as it was jumping around that got a little bit tiresome okay. after about 50 pages in. It wasn't a huge deal, but it was something I noticed that like after it kept repeating, I was like, okay, all yeah. right, I, I get it. Um, So I tried to find a couple of examples but it would use do this thing where it would end sections and chapters with kind of like, I don't even really know how to describe it. Almost a cliff, not a cliffhanger, but like a, a tease, yeah, like right. a little sting yes. at the end. A sting from the perspective of current day yeah. Kathy reflecting yes. on. Reflecting. So a, a couple of examples that I pulled are... Um, And if all these incidents now seem full of significance and all of a piece, it's probably because I'm looking at them in the light of what came later, particularly what happened that day at the pavilion while we were sheltering from the downpour. And then it would go back and start back at the beginning of this pavilion story. Mm. And then sometimes like within those stories, it would like do it again and loop back to another event and then return to the original story. Um, Another example that I've, I just flipped through real quick and found a couple was um, 
what happened after that row over the chess illustrates pretty well the point I'm making. And mm. then the chapter no, ends back. and then the next chapter yeah. starts up so again it, with. It, yeah, it's it's kind of like a reverse tea or a reverse cliffhanger almost. Yeah. Where you're you're cliffhangering it from by teasing but yeah. d- without like yeah that is interesting I, yeah i could see how if it how if that you know repeating that a lot could become a little it, it became just a, a little tedious okay after a while yeah i think it can really, be effective really, yeah. really the uh, really the only complaint that i have with the pros okay all right fair enough um, I will say that I thought the opening lines of the movie, which I mentioned earlier, kind of evoke that a little bit um, where we, we as uh, Kathy is watching Tommy go onto the operating table, we hear her voiceover and she says uh, she says a bunch of stuff. But then at the end, she says, I suppose that's why I now I now spend most of my time not looking forwards, but looking back to the cottages in Hailsham and what happened to us there. Me, Tommy and Ruth again, kind yeah. of like teasing where the where we're about to jump back and go see yes it's kind of a similar it's not the exact same but it's a similar idea um so i, d- I do think the, the movie kind of played it with that a little bit in that in that kind of style but yeah so then we do jump back and and see their childhood we jump back 20 you know 20 years or so because uh, at, the, at the point that the story starts in the film uh kathy is 28 she says and we jump back to when they appear to be you know eight nine ten something mm-hmm. like that and she, uh, they're at uh, herself, Tommy and uh, Ruth all attend the school Hailsham, uh, which is this private like boarding school kind of thing, uh, which we will slowly learn what it is and why it exists. Um, but initially, we don't really know much about it. But uh, one of the, the kind of early things that kind of hints us that something's going on is there's this uh, story of or they, they talk about they're at recess one day and their new teacher, Miss Lucy a ball goes over a fence and one of the, and Tommy, I think specifically like it doesn't want to go get it. Does is too afraid to go over the fence and get it. And it, they relay to her after the teacher, she's like, why didn't you go get the ball? They're like, well, if you go over the fence, these horrible things will happen. And they talk mm-hmm. about like one kid was found like murdered and another kid like disappeared or something. And I wanted to know if the school had this kind of built in mythos of what happens if you go over the fence to kind of keep kids from trying to escape essentially. Yeah. Yes, it does. With one difference in the book, those stories are about what happens if they go into the woods that surround Hailsham. Yeah, not a fence specifically. But similar. Yeah, yeah, similar. Very, very much. And actually, I think the stories that they relay are like exactly Basically the same. Exactly yeah, the same. Yeah. And his fence is just easier in that context. Yes. So like, you know, because they don't have it depending on where they were filming, if the, the tree line wasn't particularly close, you know, mm-hmm. they could have done it with a tree line and a ball going into the woods. But if they didn't just filming logistically, they can just make it the fence and it works the same way. So that works. Um, then we move forward a little bit and we see that uh, it's explained that Tommy uh, has a bit of a temper and he's, he likes things in a particular way. He has a shirt. It's like his favorite shirt and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And the other kids t- tend to pick on him. Um, because he is so easy to like rile up and specifically uh, included in the group of the kids that pick on Tommy is Ruth, who is one of our main characters who will come to know more later and ultimately ends up in a relationship with Tommy. Uh, And I wanted to know if that backstory for Tommy uh, being picked on and and Ruth specifically being one of the bullies was part of that of his backstory or of his childhood. Uh, Yeah, this is pretty spot on. Tommy has an awful temper in the book very easy to rile up you know the other kids get a kick out of winding him up and making him kind of pop off um and that does include ruth at least to some extent 
Um, she doesn't bully him in the same way that some of the other kids do. Yeah. But which is similar to what we see in the yeah. movie. But not she's like still, as mean. Yeah, she's still, still like not particularly it. nice to yeah. him. One of the other things we see here pretty early that I thought was kind of fascinating is they have this thing. It has a name or I can't remember. It's like a special day or something like that where um, the, the students acquire, I guess, some sort of tokens or coins or I can't remember what they call, call yeah, them. Tokens. Tokens uh, throughout the year. And then every so often uh, a bunch of some some guys from the local town show up with boxes full of like <laughs> junk. Yeah. Essentially. And they dump it all over the tables in the cafeteria. And then the kids use their tokens to like buy these like it's like broken toys. And ran it's literally just like that. Like if you went to like the uh, like a, a Goodwill, but not mm -hmm. like a regular Goodwill, like the one where you dig through the bins of just stuff. Yeah, the bins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, like the yeah. It's like they take those bins and just kind of dump them <laughs> on the tables and let the kids like fight over the the, the scraps. And I wanted to know if that particular little vignette came from the book, because I thought that was a very interesting a little bit of like world building and not even world building, but, you know, kind of uh, setting up what is going on with these children mm -hmm. and what their kind of place in this world is. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, this is exactly the same as it is in the book. They call them sales. Mm, yeah. Um, but I really liked getting to see this, like the the visual yeah. of it helped a lot, I think. Um, like getting to see the bits of these broken, discarded things, yeah, you know, really drives home that these kids are getting the leftovers that nobody else wants. Yeah, it's not even like thrift store stuff. No, it's, it's like literally thrift like store pieces rejects. of toys. Yeah, and like yeah, it, it it is literally like the stuff they couldn't sell at Goodwill even or whatever. Basically, yeah. Uh, and I also think it's interesting in in kind of a is is like a, a weird um, inversion juxtaposition to what ultimately the fate of these children's are where their their parts are being yeah I don't know, sold out. off but parceled out and given to other people um kind of inverting that and having them uh, you know the only joy they kind of you know in their early life the kind of the only place they get toys and, and fun things and their own like possessions as from the discarded scraps from other people mm -hmm. um that wasn't kind of an interesting bit of um symbolism there but uh yeah anyways uh, yeah, I, I thought that scene was kind of clever. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so does uh, we move forward a little bit more and we, we don't really know much about Lucy, uh, this teacher of theirs that they have. I think, I think she's, they say she's a fourth year teacher or something mm -hmm. like that. They're in her fourth year or something. I don't know. And uh, she just kind of one day in the middle of class just <laughs> dumps the explanation of what is going on to both us and the students in the class. She's just like, OK, so. I know you guys know a little bit of what's going on, but here's what's going on. You guys are being grown so we can harvest your organs and give them to other people and you will die when you're 30 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you will die eventually after we harvest enough of your organs. Uh, all the kids are just kind of sitting there in stunned silence. And I thought it was an interesting scene. I, it feels a little out of nowhere. It like not. It just feels like I, I didn't not sure we got enough of what motivated her to make yeah. this sort of proclamation, you know, to just kind of dump this on the kids. I feel like maybe there was a, a scene or two earlier in the film that may have been cut, mm -hmm. like showing the motive motivations that led to her kind of doing this. Cause it does seem to kind of just come out of nowhere. It was one of my only complaints with the movie. It was just kind of like, Oh, oh okay. I guess you're just telling them still a good scene and really interesting. And the reactions on all the kids faces is very well acted and everything. Um, but I wanted to know if that scene came from the book and if it felt similarly sort of like 
out of nowhere. So the specific scene does happen in the book. And the, the movie's version is fairly similar. There are slight differences, but it's pretty similar. And and I really did like it as a movie scene. I like like the pouring rain with yeah. everything else in this kind of stark silence. Very moody, very evocative. Yeah. Good stuff. However, I do think that what gets lost in the movie is the really interesting way that Ishiguro threads information through the story, both for the reader and for the characters. And in the book, it's interesting because they definitely already know what they are and what their purpose is when Miss Lucy gives them this talk. They, they've never been told in such an upfront manner right. as how she does it, but it's been kind of like subtly in the background for the entire time. And it, it is interesting because Kathy isn't like surprised or disturbed by the information. Like it's not a revelation right. to her, yeah. but it does make her start to kind of like question and think about how her guardians have approached the topic previously. Yeah. And I, I think the movie tries to nod to that by having Miss Lucy start with the problem is you've been told and not told, which is a line directly from this scene in the book. Yeah. But I don't know that it succeeds at this aspect of the story the way that the book does. Yeah, I'll take your word for that. I will say that I definitely got the my issue with the scene in the movie isn't I got the vibe that the kids were at least somewhat aware yeah, it's not like I felt like she was completely blindsiding them with this information in this scene and that they had no idea that was, I will say that I think the movie does give you enough to know again, the line you're talking about, the the problem is you've been told, not told. And their reaction isn't like completely like, yeah, uh, like stunned or like they have no idea. I So I, I definitely and watching that scene got the impression that the kids were at least somewhat aware of of their fate and what was going on and that sort of thing. To me, I was more surprised by one, how sort of early in the film for us as an audience, it was just bluntly put out there. And I think the bigger issue for me was I didn't know. And, and this is maybe the question I have is and I don't know if you have an answer necessarily, but the bigger question for me is what I said earlier is I, I was missing what her motivation was in this moment to be so blunt. Whereas before I didn't in the lead up to this moment in the film, I didn't really see much from her to set up this sort of like explanation that all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just yeah. didn't see where, like, I didn't know. I don't know what the turning point was for her character to kind of just do this. So, and I don't know if the book maybe has like, if there's more lead up in the book and why she decides to tell the kids this in this way. So I can't, I can't remember exactly what the plot point lead up to this is. There is one. Okay. There's some, it might've been the whole thing with like the tokens and the gallery. Cause there's this whole, um, like aspect of the, the culture at Hailsham that the movie excises, which is that in addition to like the sales that we see, they also have exchanges where they can trade tokens for other students' artwork, oh. the stuff that doesn't go to the galleries. Yeah. 
Which I totally get why the movie cuts that because I think we have enough yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, but then there's this like whole controversy where the kids are like, well, it's not fair that if your stuff goes to the gallery that you can't get tokens for it. So we should be getting tokens for it, um, which then brings up this uh, issue of like, well, why does our stuff go to the gallery? And obviously they're not going to tell them that. But yeah. if my memory is serving me, I think that trying to navigate that whole conversation is what ends up motivating okay. Miss Lucy to tell them this in okay. the book. I could see that. And and it's not that there's nothing in the movie. Like she has some conversations with Tommy about the art and stuff. And there's some there's some little moments here and there that that serve a little bit to lead to this. It just still felt like I, there, it just felt like there wasn't enough to trigger this big, like mm -hmm. I'm just going to come right out and tell you this thing that nobody else says. And that is clearly, I'm not supposed to tell you because she's immediately like fired or whatever yeah. um, for it uh, or worse. We don't actually know, but yeah, she's at least fired for it because <laughs> um, she does not work at the school anymore. Uh, immediately following this. Uh, is she also subsequently fired for telling the kids this? I'm pretty sure she was not. I tried to look back and I, I don't think she was happy to be corrected. But I, I believe that was a movie yeah. edition, which which is interesting because it works in the movie in kind of two ways. It, it's actually pretty clever having her be quote unquote or fired or whatever, because initially it feels like the um, lady Emily or Miss Emily uh, is like getting rid of her for telling the kids this mm -hmm. and blah 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 but we will find out that it's actually a different reason once we kind of get the reveal of what miss emily's whole deal was later yeah um and it works both ways yeah. like it works if you think she was fired because they like are kind of keeping this a secret from the kids and they don't want them to know but it also works with the twist we get later which we'll talk about more later um of kind of what miss emily's actual motivation is so i thought that was clever i thought it worked the fact that it works in both readings of Miss Emily's character, I thought, is is, is kind of cool. Uh, so then we move forward in time a little bit, and uh, Ruth and Emily, or Ruth and Emily, Ruth and Tommy get together. Um, this disappoints Kathy greatly, as she has a crush on Tommy, and mm -hmm. she has kind of been uh, in love with Tommy, quote-unquote, for a long time. Um, but then Ruth and Tommy end up together, uh, and I want to know if that's kind of the main a relationship drama in the film or in the book. Yes. Yeah, it is. The movie follows that whole entanglement. Yeah. Pretty much exactly. I mean, I had a feeling yeah. that, that would be the case because it does seem pretty pivotal to the whole story, but I <laughs> <laughs> wasn't sure. Uh, so we move. Now we jump forward in time. We are, they're now teenagers. Uh, it says, I think we went forward like seven years. They're probably like 16 or 17. I think or, in the books, it specifically says they go to the cottages at 16. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, teenagers now, uh, and they're kind of living on their own in this, uh, the cottages, which is like a farm, uh, which we'll talk more about later, but they're on their own. They have like a chaperone guy who kind of yeah. like does stuff for them, but they're mostly kind of up left to their own devices to kind of do whatever they want. And so uh, they're there with a couple other people from a different school, uh, Domhnall Gleeson and his girlfriend, um, who are a couple. And then Ruth and Tommy are a couple. And Kathy's just kind of on her own. Um, and everybody's having sex all the time except for Kathy. And it's kind of <laughs> awkward for her. But she ends up finding some, uh, like, Playboys or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and she's in the barn, uh, like, flipping through them. And Tommy walks in. And she's like flipping through this magazine, like 
really quick, like, yeah. you know, she's just like paging through it, basically, and not, not really stopping to look at, particularly at any of the, the fun <laughs> pictures in the thing. And there's this great exchange where Tommy comes in and sees her doing it. And uh, they're kind of talking about it. And he goes, it doesn't work like that. You have to go slower and look at each picture <laughs> like it doesn't you can't just flip through it. <laughs> it's not really the point. And uh, Kathy turns to him and says, how do you know what works for girls? <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and I wanted to know if that exchange came from the book. So there is a scene where Tommy catches Kathy looking through the porn magazines. Yeah. But this specific exchange is not from the book. But I also really liked it. <laughs> I love the implication that what works for girls is speed reading nudie magazines. <laughs> like that's so just... <laughs> We're very efficient. I just okay, thought it was very funny because <laughs> it's on, honestly, if anything, it's an inverse of like the like that yeah. idea, you know, of what you'd expect. Like, yeah, it's just uh, I thought that was very funny. Um, but we we will find out later that Tommy does actually realize what she's doing in that um scene. It's kind of interesting. The movie doesn't really allude to this much, and I don't know if I have a question or a, a note about it later. But we'll find out later that. Ruth is like, oh, Tommy told me about you looking at the ma- at the the nude magazines, and I know what you're doing. You're you know you're you're trying to get him, you know you're you're basically trying to like broach the topic mm-hmm. of sex with Tommy to try to like get in with him or whatever. Tommy later is like, well, I knew you weren't do- when they they're talking about it years and years later. He's like, no, I knew that's not what you were doing. I knew you were looking for your possible, and they have this very interesting thing where she talks about how. Kathy talks about how she had these like sexual desires and she, she didn't really know what to do with it. Cause they didn't really ever explain this to them. Like yeah. they didn't really get very good comprehensive sex education in Hailsham or whatever. So she didn't really know what to do with these sexual desires desire. So she thought there was like, not maybe not something wrong with her, but that there must be a reason for it or that she was weird or something like mm-hmm. that for having the desires. And so she thought maybe the reason she had these sexual desires was that, um, the person she was cloned from was like a porn star yeah. and like that's why yeah. she's like this so she was going through this magazine to see if she could find her her original is what they call the people they're cloned from uh, and I thought that was interesting again I, I don't think I have another note about it later but I thought that was a fascinating little discussion it doesn't really it's not super important to everything that goes else that goes on but it's I, again super interesting um, but speaking of kind of the naivete of our characters and not really understanding sex or any of that kind of stuff very well, um, I wanted to know if that comes from the book, if all of our main characters, the main three we follow, uh, Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy, are all fairly stunted and naive to the world because they grew up in this very sheltered boarding school. And then now that they're out on their own, they don't really, they, again, they have like a guy who kind of like looks after them, but it's yeah. not like a... <laughs> It's not yeah. like a teacher or anything. He's just like there. He just like brings them. Supplies, yeah. And like, basically. like works on his truck and stuff. Yeah. He's not really, not really involved with them in any way. But I, I just thought all of their interactions, both with each other and other people were like fascinating. And I thought all the performances, they did a really good job of kind of capturing this. It feels almost alien the way they mm-hmm. kind of interact with not only the outside world, which makes sense, but even each other just feels yeah. off in a way that I thought was beautifully rendered and like felt very realistic for the kind of upbringing these these kids had and how they would interact with the world and each other and i wanted to know if that dynamic was from the book i assume it was but yeah this is both very similar to the book and kind of different 
In the book, I would say that most of this like kind of stuntedness that you're referring to comes through in their interactions with each other and like the way that they perceive each other's actions and motivations. And the movie, I thought, gave us a little bit more of them not knowing how to navigate the outside world than the book did. Which makes perfect sense. Um, and I particularly enjoyed the scene where they're at the diner and they just have no idea how to choose and order food. Yeah, that that, and then the, um, uh, they don't know. I also, it cracked me up when they're going to the diner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Donald Gleason or whatever. It's like, so you guys got a lot of experience at the outside or you guys know or something like that. And Ruth is just like, uh, oh yeah. And Tommy's like, no, we don't. <laughs> And she's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> I just thought it was very funny. But I think because like ultimately this whole thing ends up. And we'll get into this more, I'm sure, throughout. But ultimately, this whole thing ends up kind of being an allegory for just life generally. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're exploring mortality and relationships through this very specific sci fi scenario. But it is very much just about all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this particular section and the way like their 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 inability to interact with each other and the the outside world is really just a heightened exploration of the way all of us have a hard time kind of finding our place and specifically at that young awkward teenage phase not really knowing how yeah <laughs> how to interact with people and how how what is expected of us and like Getting it wrong, a getting lot. things wrong a lot <laughs> and not really knowing what, you know, who we are and what we want to do at that point in our lives. I thought it was very again, it's all just like a heightened version of that um, to kind of explore. I think that stage of our life that most of us, I think, go through. I think some people get through that very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for a lot of us, it, it takes, you know, I don't feel like I became a real adult till I was like 25, 20, at least. Mm at least you know what i mean like late late 20s yeah like where i finally felt like oh yeah i have a pretty um, uh, (laughs) like good grasp on like emotionally like what i'm doing and where i'm going and like what i don't know like how i and just like being able to like interact with people in a way that i feel is at least somewhat meaningful and isn't just very surface level like i I, yeah i felt like it took me a long time to get there and and i think a lot of people kind of experience that and I, i again i think this the whole this whole story kind of just ends up being a mic like boiling down because of their shortened lifespans it kind of boils that down into like a condensed mm-hmm. and heightened time frame which i thought was really interesting uh, and we'll talk more about some of that stuff later but yeah um just super super fascinating uh so we find out in the film around this time that the main characters are clones we didn't really realize that in the film yeah um, until this point kind of they we're, it's just disclosed to us that oh they're clones um, and specifically, we find out that they're uh, they're clones of people that kind of just exist in the world. And Domhnall Gleeson and his girlfriend, uh, I don't remember their names, but they because uh, they're only in the movie for like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. They w- while they were out on a trip, th- they th- saw somebody that they think was Ruth's original, mm-hmm. which they call possible. The original is the person you're cloned from and people that they think might be the original are possibles until they yeah. confirm their original. So they say that we that there's a possible or whatever. And she works as like a receptionist at some like travel agency or something. And so they got to go. They, they they go on a trip to see if they can find her and if it is actually Ruth's clone or if Ruth is this woman's clone. Um, and I wanted to know if any of that came from the book because I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they are clones. 
um, that part of the plot slash conflict is exactly the same. Yeah. The trip to see Ruth's possible takes up a larger chunk of the book than it does the movie, but it is from the book. Yeah, there's a great moment, and it. I think we're actually jumping. I'm jumping because my next question is actually from before this, I think. But uh, there's a great moment where, where they do go to see the woman who they think is Ruth's original or potentially her possible. And they're like looking through the window of this travel agency. And it's this great, which you posted on social media quite a bit. And it's on like posters and stuff. And it's because mm-hmm. it's look, it's very on the nose. It's not super subtle what we're doing here visually symbolically, <laughs> but that being said, still done really well. In my opinion, there's this great shot where we get a wide of Ruth, Tommy and Kathy all peering through this window with their hands on the window so yeah. they can see kind of like, through the window. Noses pressed Noses against pressed the glass. Noses uh, pressed to the glass, hands on the glass, kind of shielding the light so they can look through the window. Um, and it's just, again, just this great visual representation of just kind of boiled down their whole existence of them as outsiders looking in, separated from, yeah. quote unquote, the real world by this barrier. Uh, again, pretty pretty on the nose. Uh, you know, relatively speaking. But again, I just thought it was executed pretty wonderfully. And it's a great shot. Uh, it's very, yeah, I don't know. I just, I thought it was delightful. I liked a lot of the kind of like subtle or not so subtle imagery in this <laughs> film. I say not subtle. It's not that it's like super on the nose, but it, it's very clear what's. Yeah, it's very clear what's being communicated. I, yeah, I don't think it takes like a, I don't think you need to be like a have a PhD in film studies to like grasp what is going on here. But that being said, I don't think it's again, it's not like the most obvious symbolism we've ever seen, Mm -hmm. but it is like pretty, pretty good or, you know, pretty, pretty obvious. What's going on. It's it's well executed and and well shot and it looks really nice. And and it works for the scene. It's also not like, yeah. And it's also not like, it's not shoehorned. in. Yes. It's not shoehorned in, in a way that doesn't really like work, you know, where it's like, well, why is this even a thing? Like it, it, you know, it doesn't, or like, why would they even do that? Or why would they stand like, you know, it, it works within the scene to where you don't really think about it too much, but it still works mm-hmm. um, metaphorically, which there's a handful of moments like that throughout the movie. Um, but I thought that was a good one. So. Uh, so actually jumping back slightly in the film's narrative here uh, there before they go look at Ruth's clone uh, that who ends up not being her clone. Um, they go, uh, they're at a diner, like getting some lunch. And while they're getting lunch, Domino Gleason and his girlfriend, they ask the Hailsham kids because Domino Gleason and his girlfriend are not from Hailsham. They're from a different school or different whatever. Yeah. And they ask if the Hailsham kids know about this deferral program. They've heard about this deferral thing that basically if you're in love, if if two clones are in love, they can apply for deferral, which basically defers their donations by a few years so they can spend some time together mm-hmm. um, before they have to do their donations and then end up dying or whatever. Basically just buys them some extra time. And Donald Gleason and his girlfriend are like asking them if they know about this because they want to apply for it. Uh, and they assume that these kids from Hailsham would know about it because Hailsham is like to the other clones kids are it's like the super fancy yeah. like they're the they're the like they they lived in the lap of luxury they right. they know things they are they like it's had a like much the better, ivy league yes. of, of these uh clone schools yeah so i want to know if any of that scene 
Um, cause again, they're just hopeful that somehow maybe their love will forestall their fate. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, again, just another fascinating little microcosm of just life in general. But I, I wanted to know if any of that scene came from the book, cause I thought it was just a, a beautiful, heartbreaking scene. Also, I love there's a little hint of kind of like manufactured, like kind of classism in, in there that maybe the, and it's actually, we'll find out maybe not manufactured. That's kind of the interesting spoiler, but uh, initially when I was watching this, cause we don't, we haven't, we haven't revealed like the later twist in the film about Hailsham. Um, we, in this moment, I thought maybe what was going on here when they're like, Oh, your Hailsham kids are like special and you guys get every, you know, you guys had like the privileged upbringing or whatever. I, I wanted, I was thinking like, Oh, maybe what's going on here is the, you know, the guardians or whatever, or the, the people in charge, the system um, kind of inspires this, like injects this, this, kind of classism or this like yeah. uh, distrust of kids from the other schools into the ecosystem to keep the kids from like from from unionizing <laughs> Uniona- yeah essentially yeah <laughs> basically yeah it basically um manufactures their consent that's not the what the term i know i uh, but point being like maybe the system is kind of like introducing this false like yeah antagonism between the schools in order to keep them from yeah uh coalizing <laughs> coalescing <laughs> and uh joining together and blah 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 again we'll find out that's not really the case but i thought that was interesting anyways any of that come from the book so the scene where they're talking about deferrals is from the book but it was absolutely gutting in the film it really yeah um first off superb subtle acting oh yeah from Domino gleason and the actress playing chrissy his girlfriend yeah um i think it also helped in the movie that we didn't interact with either of them as much as we do in the book because in the book they're they're not assholes but they're kind of jerks oh okay so i you know I, I think it helped to not have that kind of a little bit of a bad taste in the back of your mouth in yeah. that scene um andrea riseborough is the it's chrissy mm-hmm. um as far as the idea of the hailsham kids being like that they're special or that they're given preferential treatment i i think that gets does get even more interesting at the end yes like you mentioned um when we learn that Hailsham, it's one of only like three places yeah. that's making an effort to treat clones like people. Yeah. We find out. Yeah. That's so the, it, the quote unquote twist. It's not yeah. really a big twist. It's not really yeah. a twist, but. Yeah. Kind of a it's reveal. a thing that we learn. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So in a way they are correct. Yeah. They are getting better treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Just not the way that they not think. Not the way they think. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, again, yeah, that, 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 that does paint it in a different light later but yeah it was interesting and yeah the scene it's like you said it's just it's gut-wrenching it's just heartbreaking because you see the kind of dawning realization when when basically ruth and them are like we don't know anything about i don't know what we're talking about we don't know anything about a deferral program we've never heard of that um and as they kind of realize that either it seems like well maybe this isn't a thing or they they just like the fact that they don't know about it or whatever it it kind of like dawns on them that they're like okay this is probably bullshit and you can see that just kind of set in on them and they start like crying it's just ugh it, yeah it, I guess like you said it's just brilliantly beautifully acted and just a heartbreaking scene like um, like every scene in the movie honestly because spoilers <laughs> this movie's sad this movie's very sad it's good but yeah. it's very sad. Uh, in, in a good way. It's the good kind of sad, but it is, oof, it gets me. You know what this movie reminded me of? And we'll talk about more of that later. It's really reminded me of Arrival. 
Yeah. Like a lot of people I saw comparing it to some other stuff, uh, which I think is fair. I, I, I definitely can see the similarities to like parts of like remains of the day and stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the un, yeah, uh, the uh, unrealized like potential and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, all this sort of stuff and things not said and all this sort of thing. But uh, it, it really parts of it, especially towards the end, reminded me of Arrival. We'll get to that in a second. But so uh, eventually Tommy becomes convinced later on that they uh that the gallery exists to take their art as a way to uh the, so that you mentioned earlier the gallery comes to the to Hailsham looks at their art and takes some of it Tommy becomes convinced that the reason they take the art is so that they can um look at it and see when kids do apply when the clones do apply for deferral if they're like, say they're in love, they then use the art. Uh, the gallery uses the art to see if they're actually in love, mm-hmm. whether or not like, cause they'll be able to see their souls essentially through yeah. the art. Um, and in another heartbreaking scene, uh, Tommy explains, well, Kathy, cause he's saying this all to Kathy and Kathy's like, well, uh, you can, you know, maybe you and Ruth can get a deferral or whatever. And uh, and Tommy's <laughs> like, no, cause I'm not good at art and none of my art ever got taken into the gallery. Yeah. <sighs> and I want to know if that, like if Tommy's hypothesis and that scene and stuff came from the book. Cause again, just, oof. uh, yeah, that all is from the book. Cause Tommy's big theory about, uh, what the gallery is, what its purpose might be. And like, he wasn't wrong. No. But he wasn't right either. Yeah. He was kind of close to being yeah. right, but not quite. He was in the ballpark. Yeah. I think, again, even the whole gallery thing, I think there, it, the thing I love about this movie is that it's, er, that, that I really loved about the movie was that a lot of the, it doesn't give you any easy answers, kind of similar to some other stuff we covered where nothing, there's not like a an obvious message necessarily like to yeah. anything, but everything is there's just there's so many ways you can interpret kind of everything that happens in the movie. And I, I thought like particularly like the gallery stuff really struck me and like the, and, and Tommy's quest to like make art that was good enough for the gallery kind of echoes, I think, the way a lot of creatives and stuff where we, you know, that struggle to like find a purpose in through art mm-hmm. or to like prove your kind of humanity through art. Um, and, and again, to prove your, your own worth or your purpose yeah. or that, or that a legacy, yeah. To give yourself a legacy or to prove that, you know, you're, you're doing something meaningful because you, you're creating these things or some, creating something, anything. Um, again, there's just, it, it's the movie, I think, and it sounds like the book by extension or opposite of that, the, the book and by extension, the movie just kind of throws all this stuff out there. It kind of layers all this stuff in, in in a way where it just lets you take what you want from it and apply it in a way. Because, again, I think I think almost anybody could watch this and apply it their own framework to it in a way that was very meaningful to them. And I don't think like I think very few interpretations of kind of what each of these things mean or how each of these like elements of the story would how each person who watches this movie could apply the elements of the story to their own life. I think are all like completely valid. And I think that's one of the the things that's very like well hewn about the story is that it doesn't force a simple reading of it or it doesn't force like yeah. a specific reading of it necessarily. Yeah. I like, agree. There are definitely things that the movie wants you to kind of get out and think about, 
but it it very much allows each individual viewer slash reader to kind of just put their own spread their own <laughs> nonsense and i say nonsense their own um uh insecurities their own difficulties their own um pain and, and whatnot uh across the story in their own way uh and i just yeah i just thought it was kind of beautifully crafted in that way but uh, so I assume that uh, all the terminology, because this book is a sci-fi or this film mm-hmm. is like a sci-fi story, ostensibly, like yeah. kind of. It's sci-fi set in the past. Yeah. Which I always find interesting. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's alternate universe, kind of yeah. alternate history, kind of sci-fi. And and the sci-fi elements are very minimal. Yes. Like very minimal. Yes. But yeah, it's it, it basically. Um, but there are because of that, there is some like lingo, you know, there's the the classic like new speaker whatever mm-hmm. that is that exists the slang that exists within this universe um in particular the, the some of the main standouts from the film uh are the which we talked about two of these already which is our originals and possibles possibles being people who might be the clone you're based on originals being the the clone that the actual clone that you're based on uh, or that you're cloned from um but then the other one uh, the main and there's more but the other main one uh was completion or completing which is what happens Basically, they're kind of code <laughs> for dying after uh, donating, finishing your donation or yeah. af- dying after a donation or at some point during your donation process. No matter when that is, you could have donated multiple times or you could have donated mm-hmm. once or whatever. But if you die during that process or after or whatever, you have completed, you've com- achieved completion or whatever um, as kind of a... a um, what's what is it called when you um soften a word what is the a euphemism a euphemism yeah. thank you as a euphemism for just dying essentially yes. uh is completion and i wanted to know if that lingo came from the book because i thought it was i assumed again assumed yeah. it did but I, I thought it was worked well yeah um all of that stuff does come from the book all of that terminology um for me completing and donation are maybe tied for the most dark and uncomfortable yes. um perfectly encapsulates i think the way that humans use euphemisms to soften things that they're not comfortable with or that they know is wrong yes they want to deny complicity in absolutely Um, i I, completion call it what it is man yeah Yeah, you're killing you're killing murdering these people yeah donation is a wild it's not a donation donation. they don't have a choice zero choice there yeah you are applying a whole lot of agency to something that (laughs) That has no agency agency whatsoever um yeah and and that's yeah why i kind of compared it to new speaker whatever where yeah you are it's you're you're using these words in ways that do not apply yes you're (laughs) using it to distance yourself from your wrongdoing yes in a way that creates a very dystopian yeah off-putting but realistic feeling yes. world. It, it does it in an immense amount of world building by just using subbing yeah. a handful of words out for other words. Like, yes. yeah. Very, yeah. Very, very masterful use of language yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so then we move forward in time again. Um, we jump forward quite a bit more now and they're quote unquote adults. They're, I mean, they are adults. They're in their twenties at this point now, but in this, there's old age in this universe for the clones because that most of them seemingly, you know, complete by around the age of 30 or so. And we, we meet up with everybody again. Um, and I've skipped a lot of stuff here in the story because it's not really important for what we're talking about, but they, they, they've all gone their separate ways. Ruth mm-hmm. and Tommy have broken up 
uh, Kathy becomes a carer who, who again provides like support and care for people during and after their donations. Ruth is in the middle of her donations and is struggling. Like she's physically not doing well. And then Tommy uh, is also doing his donations, but is, is seemingly like doing a lot better than, than Ruth is physically. Um, but they all meet back up again and they kind of decide to go on a little trip together and uh, they go to see this boat on the shore, um, this beached, old, mm-hmm. rusty boat sitting on the shore. Uh, I, I assume that's a real boat. It looked like a real location. It, loca- it yeah, looked like a real boat, yeah. It's probably in other movies. Uh, the, but anyways, uh, <laughs> so they go see this boat, and they, they're sitting in there to kind of discussing things. And I, I found it really striking that when they meet back up, you know, later in life, our three main characters kind of encompass three different perspectives on this whole situation and this whole world that they're living in. Whereas Ruth has sort of cynically accepted her fate. She's, she knows, Oh, this is all bullshit. She talks a lot about how like the euphemisms and the complete, mm-hmm. like she talks about how like they were lied to and like, blah, like she is very much um, knows that this is all bullshit and says it and is like, um, she's she's also accepting. It's not like she's trying to like run away or fight it or right. anything like that. She's still like you know. Yeah, but she's she's the the angriest. We'll say yes. out of the three of yeah. them. Yeah, um, Tommy is uh, still sort of naive and kind of living in the state of Arrested Development. He still has sort of this like childlike energy mm-hmm. um, that he had when he was younger, and he you know he still sort of has a, an exuberance and a joy that I think. Both yeah. Ruth and a, a Kathy more, lack op- more optimism yeah. than the other two. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. In a sense. Um, and then uh, on the other side of that, Kathy, as a carer, she's been through a lot of this. She's sort of um, peacefully existing within a state of like acceptance. Like she she also kind of accepts what's going on. She's she's not like cynical about it in the right. way that that Ruth yeah, is. Yeah, and she's also in a way on the outside looking. Yes, in. because she as a carer, your your donations get deferred yeah. until after you're done being a carer, um, however long that lasts. Um, seemingly till you're about thirty or so, because uh, that's when they start um, Kathy's um, at the end of the film. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, uh, it I thought it was interesting that they all kind of in encapsulate a slightly different perspective on this world and i wanted to know if the book if that if that angle and their different personalities and and perspectives came from the book um yeah i would say that's it's pretty accurate to the book yeah i just thought again i just thought it was really interesting to kind of see this world through their three different eyes and i think the movie does a really good job of translating that Mm -hmm. like the little moment of tommy on the boat like playing around yeah, running like, around and like it's like a playground yeah like it's a playground and then uh, yeah and then ruth is just like gaunt and like dot di- clearly dying and like in a terrible place and she's just done with it all and like yeah just very cynical and kathy just again very like again like you said outside looking in just kind of at peace with it all in like a weird sad way it's very it's all yeah. very interesting i just uh it's fascinating uh, so then during this scene, uh, as they're sitting on the beach, um, Ruth apologizes. She basically says to Tommy and Kathy, look, I'm sorry that uh, I was very selfish. I kept you guys apart, even though I didn't really love Tommy and I knew that wasn't going to go anywhere. But I basically she didn't want to be alone and she was being selfish and that she wants to make it up to them um, because she knew there was obviously a connection between them, but that she selfishly stole that from them in their youth and she wants to make it up for him. And I wanted to know if that came from the book and the way she's going to make it up for him is to give them, uh, she found madam's, uh, 
address mm -hmm. and so that maybe they can get a deferral by going to the gallery because madam mm -hmm. runs the gallery they go to the gallery maybe they can get a deferral and have some more time together basically so yeah. she, i want to know if that came from the book yeah all of that does come from the book um she does apologize and she gives them madame's address yeah so they can try to get that deferral yeah uh so then they go to try to get their deferral uh tommy has been working on his art in the intervening years and practicing to become better and better uh, so that maybe they can get their deferral. Um, and they they get to the location or they get to her house and she invites them in when she realizes why they're there. And Tommy like shows her all of her art, his art and stuff, and she like looks at it and blah blah blah. And then Miss Emily rolls in. Or Miss Emily, yeah. Rolls or Lady Emily. Miss Emily. Miss Emily. Miss Emily. Rolls in in a wheelchair um and basically explains that uh there are no deferrals this that's not a thing um the art wasn't for that uh it was literally uh and what she says was we use the art to prove that the clones at hailsham were all but human um basically saying like we need to treat these clones humanely mm -hmm. because they're basically they are human um whereas uh the system apart from that didn't care just saw them as meat essentially um, and this is the quote-unquote twist that I thought was really fascinating, where we 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 kind of reframe Miss Emily and Madame from kind of villains in the story earlier yeah. on, where they seem to be antagonists who are, you know, ruling with an iron. F we don't really see anything cruel by them, but it you know they're the power and they're the people in power at this school, which we know as outside viewers is like this horrifying <laughs> meat farm for children, basically. Um, and so initially we view them very negatively but in this moment it is revealed that they were actually fighting in their own way kind of struggling against this system to try to give these kids at least something resembling yeah a real happy life or whatever and that this art was their way of trying to prove to the quote-unquote powers that be um that the clones were human but the line that really broke my heart that i want to know if it was in the book uh it was uh, she says we use the art to prove that the clones at Hailsham were all but human we were providing an answer to a question that no one was asking mm -hmm. which is just i had to know if that line is from the book because holy shit that's an incredible line like we were providing an answer to a question that no one was asking it just got it i'd like holy shit um and i wanted to know if that came from the book so I couldn't find these specific lines in the okay. book when I went back and like skimmed through yeah. and was like looking through that scene. Um, if you've got an ebook copy, yeah, I was not able to get a hold of one this time. Um, see if that's in there. I couldn't find it anywhere. The explanation of what they were it's doing is the, the, same, is the yeah. same. Yeah. But I could not find that specific yeah, line. That specific line. It just it lays bare so much. Of because it, it's just it, it it just struck it rang so true about so many things in the real world to me you know we're providing an answer to a question that no one was asking it's like yeah. hey, look we're over here trying to be like look you should care about these people look I can prove to you look no actually they do have souls and 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 the, the point is yeah. like they literally they, nobody cared nobody like cares. nobody yeah. cared at all um and it, yeah and I just the way it, it's such a succinct line. Uh, to put such a button on that point in such a just devastating, I just, I, it, it hit me like a thousand bricks. I just could, I was like, oh God, brilliant. Um, anyways, a couple more questions here. Um, 
so now they have found out that they the deferrals aren't a thing they're this just you know their their last kind of ditch effort at uh of hope at, at you know maybe being able to spend more time together and that sort of thing are dashed and they're driving home um at this point ruth is already dead she has yeah. died on the operating table during one of her donations it's just tommy and kathy and they're driving home and Tommy uh, is like, hey, I need you to pull over. And he gets out of the car and he walks out and he just starts screaming, which is kind of a calls back to um, his childhood where we saw him kind of have this big outburst. One of the first times we kind of met him or the kids were picking on him and he didn't really know how to handle his emotions. So he just like just starts like screaming and flailing. Yeah. Uh, And I I wanted to know if if that scene came from the book um, and, and if it echoes and kind of mirrors that if if it's that similar sort of reversion to his his adolescence to his coping mechanisms as a child when again when he doesn't really know how to handle mm-hmm. <laughs> the cruelty of the world yeah uh, yeah this is all spot on to the book um and i would say that it is a callback to his earlier life uh, one small difference in the scene is that in the book he walks completely out of Kathy's sight, mm. like off into a field. I was genuinely very concerned in the book oh. that he was going to commit suicide. Yeah. Um, but that is not what happened. Yeah. Uh, and then my last question for, uh, was that in the book is specifically uh, moving on in the story um, right after that. Uh, we then now we're in the store in the film. We are now back to where the film started, which is Kathy watching Tommy uh, go under for his fourth donation um, and we find out that he dies during or right shortly thereafter. Um, and we we join Kathy. She's standing in a field kind of watching the sunset. And she says that her donations are about to start. And I wanted to know if the she gives this big monologue um, and it got me good. And this is, I think, the main reason it reminded me of Arrival. It was a very much it reminded me of Amy Adams mm-hmm. kind of big monologue at the end of Arrival that always gets me. Um, and it's a similar message to some extent. Like there's a similar like, and I'll get to it in a second, but I just want to read it real quick. And I want to know if this came from the book. It's been two weeks since I lost him. I've been given my notice now. My first donation is in a month's time. I come here and imagine that this is the spot where everything I've lost since my childhood has washed out. I tell myself if that were true, and I waited long enough that a tiny figure would appear on the horizon across the field and gradually get larger until I'd see it was Tommy. He'd wave and maybe call. I don't let the fantasy go beyond that. I can't let it. I remind myself I was lucky to have had any time with him at all. What I'm not sure about is if our lives have been so different from the lives of the people we save. We all complete. Maybe none of us really understand what we've lived through or feel we've had enough time. So does that come from the book is my first question. That monologue. Um, A lot of it is from the book, but not every single word. Okay. Like it's not a word for word. Not word for word. But but a lot of that is from the last like few lines of the book yeah can you see if the specifically because you have the book right there Mm -hmm. um the ones that i'm most interested is um what i'm not sure about is if our lot the the ones i use for the intro quote because that's the part that stuck with me most no no really okay interesting all right alex garland jesus (laughs) assuming that was yeah so the thing that really struck to me about that the that particular thing obviously it kind of it actually doesn't, now that you say that, it actually doesn't surprise me that it doesn't come from the book because it's a little bit, um, it it definitely is maybe a little more on the nose summary of like the point than maybe the book would mm-hmm. want to do. It's it's definitely like puts more of a button on everything. 
Yeah. Like, it kind of rounds out the message in a more succinct, like, obvious way than maybe some of the other elements of the of the film has done up until this point. Uh, but the, so point being that it kind of reminds me arrival of arrival in the sense that at arrival, the big uh, spoilers for arrival, the big monologue she gives at the end is that she, she, cause she now can quote unquote, see the future. She sees time non-linearly. Um, and she knows that her daughter that she has with Jeremy Renner uh, gets some sort of disease or whatever and dies kind of young yeah. or whatever. Um, but she still makes the choice quote unquote, makes the choice. It's confusing cause it's non-linear time stuff, but <laughs> quote unquote kind of makes the choice to still do go to have the child and have that time and the joy and, and experience the, the happiness and, and not basically let, you know, uh, the, the, the sadness of the situation outweigh the joy that is there. And it's a similar kind of sentiment here of like, you know, despite the fact that we live these weird, shortened, horrible lives full of pain and, and again, cruelty, um, that there is, there is joy to be had and then like the time she had with Andrew Garfield <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Tommy is his name. Um, it just gave me a similar vibe. I will say it's interesting because it feels like arrivals like the happier version yeah. of this. <laughs> yeah. Like like this one's a little more even more melancholy, which the, the arrival one's fairly melancholy, but this is one's even a little more melancholy than the arrival one. But yeah, I thought that was it just reminded me of that in a way. And I I, I thought it was similarly just very effective and um again kind of boils down the whole point of the of the story of that this is it's a microcot their their story is our story is all of our story despite the fact that it's not not yeah and i, I think because it's interesting i was thinking there is a way to kind of read that in a way that feels i think you could cynically read that final scene you could read that final monologue almost as like an apologia as like apologia for this terrible system Mm-hmm. where she's like like you could almost read that in a cynical way to be like apologia for like terrible systems or like bad things that happen is like well but like we all like but all like, of our lives are yeah. kind of like i mean yeah I like but i don't that's not the point and i i don't read it that way but i think you again i think if you read it kind of cynically you could read it that way of like uh of, of her saying like oh you know What's to say that our what uh, what was it? Um, what I'm not sure about is if our lives have been so different from the lives of the people we save, we all complete. And you're like, well, because like obviously, very clearly, it is very different, and the yes. system is terrible and awful. And but I don't think that the story doesn't think that. I think the story agrees that this is all yeah, terrible. I, and I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess that's fair. I just. And because I've actually heard similar kind of criticisms of Arrival in that way, that it, it it does a similar thing at the end with like the kind of um, there's like a cynical way to read the end of Arrival of like her kind of making a very selfish choice to like mm-hmm. have her daughter despite like knowing knowing this she's... awful like and I, I agree that that's not nothing to that, but it's also I don't know like it's not the way I interpret it and it's not the way. I it's not how I would the message I get out of it. And again, in, in Arrival, it's particularly complicated because I don't know if she even necessarily could not make that like because, again, the weird like non right. t- like I don't know if it's like a choice necessarily she could make. It's complicated. Um, this one's less complicated because there's not like time travel or <laughs> quote unquote <laughs> time travel um, to like muddy things. But 
um it is yeah it's interesting i uh, i again i like it i could see i'd be interested to see if there are other people who don't vibe with it if they if the sort of the criticism if other people do have criticisms along the lines of it feeling dismissive of the cruelty uh, and stuff and like it sort of apologizing for that and in a way where it's like oh but actually we all just get to enjoy our lives like we're all like you know what i mean like i don't, I don't think that it's dismissive of the cruelty or apologizing for it for me the like dark cynical aspect of it lies in the fact that we have this character who maybe possibly does not fully realize yeah what has been done to her what yes. has been taken from her yeah no i and i i, I guess yes I, I agree there is a darkness to that in the sense that yeah she, they, she doesn't realize like when she says like you know maybe our lives or i'm not so sure if our lives have been so different from the lives of the people we save i think you could, I, I get what you're saying that yes she doesn't realize that it is like maybe she doesn't like fully realize how yeah. different their lives have been and how awful it is but i think there's <sighs> from looking at it from the out that's from the outside looking in i think that's a, a valid interpretation or reading of it but from the inside looking out i think it's very much an empowering message of regardless of which again i think can be a little patronizing and i get that but that regardless of the situation we're all we all fucking die and yes maybe some of us live to be 100 some of us live to be 50 whatever but it, it, it's really a call <laughs> which is maybe twee or whatever but <laughs> it is truly a call to appreciate the people in your life and the time you have with them mm -hmm. regardless of how much time that is which is again the same message that arrival is making uh ultimately i think which works for me because it 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 it, it it's that thing of like it isn't the the amount of time is less important than the time itself and what you do with it and I, I, I think I understand the criticism of that to be like, yeah, that's easy to say. Yeah. <laughs> if you have lots of time and, and, and less <laughs> easy to say if you're in a real if you're a fucking kid living in Gaza right now, it's a very different situation. Like, I understand that. And it's not to be dismissive of that. It is a I don't know. It's it's tough. And I think it's one of the things that makes it so effective is it isn't just like an easy, like, yeah, little like feel good thing. Like it is, there is that bittersweet. Is there something specifically you were, you, you no. started? Oh, okay. I didn't know if you had a, a thought of a line or something you wanted to read, but no. you were just glancing through. Okay. Very fascinated to get other people's opinions on this and see how they feel about it. Cause again, I, it worked for me, but I can, I understand yeah, I, I was just looking at the end of the book again, because I, I do think that that line, I, I don't know, I, I that's not necessarily the message that I got from the end of the book. Which one? What message? About, like, uh, appreciating what you have oh, and like the, the time, time that you have. You have. Yeah. It, I, I don't think it's not there, and I do think that the book and the movie are similar in that they're both, like exploring similar themes and like these themes about like your life and like what you do with your life. Um, but like on a, on a much sped up timeline. Right. But that wasn't necessarily the read that I got from the end of the book. And I, I, I feel like to me, 
the addition of those lines yeah. is is pulling a lot of weight. Yes. And that's what I said. I agree. And no, that is the thing where I can definitely see that. And I do think those lines are trying, really trying yeah. to like kind of tie this up a little neater maybe than the yeah, book does. Yeah, because the book to me has, not that the end of the movie isn't melancholy. Oh, no, it but, definitely but is. I, yeah. But the book I think is more, more so yeah. to, to me. Like I when I finished reading that book the other night. Oh, yes. Yeah. I came into the kitchen. Yeah. And you said to me, how was it? Yeah. And I said, what did I say? I don't remember. You don't remember? No. Well, I do, but I, well, because I remember and I said, uh, yeah, I don't remember the exact words you said, I guess is my point. I don't I don't you wanna... were like, you were like, how, how was it? Yeah. And I said, upsetting. Yes. That, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was upsetting yeah. spaghetti yes. when yeah. I finished this book. Yeah, you said upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, again, I, I think the movie still captures most of that because you do feel that for her. Like you still, even in that moment with that line, you still feel like, uh, but you don't you know, like you, you did your, you were, were robbed of a real yeah. life. Like, but there's still not nothing there. And there's something, I don't know. There's still something in that sentiment that I think is valuable, even if it is hard to fully embrace. Cause it, it, it definitely can feel maybe a little sort of um dismissive of suffering <laughs> like it can feel yeah. a little like always look on the bright side of life kind of like like it, it can feel a little patronizing yeah that that like point of like oh but it's all like you know my yes so, sure i only loved to be 30 and then i had my organs forcibly removed from my body but like i did love andrew garfield for a while like i get <laughs> i get that I don't know. It's tough. I and I guess again, I think well, that's I, why I don't know and I'm I'm interested to hear how yeah. other people feel about it because I also have my suspicions that like my particular ish and who I am as a person is coloring this because yeah. because the, I do like I find this type of story like particularly upsetting. I I don't usually read dystopia like this because I do find it upsetting yeah um and I, I i have a very keen sense of justice and i yeah. don't know if maybe i'm like over focused on that aspect of the story so i'm interested to hear what other people think yeah and again i think that's why it's so effective as a story is that it, it allows for all of that like it, it, it all of those readings all of those kind of interpretations are there to be had and it, it is i i don't think the movie wants you to necessarily land in any one place like yeah. i don't i don't think the movie is like yeah. necessarily thinks you need to come away thinking like yeah like like with a kind of like uplifting yeah also for the record i'm not saying that you don't have a keen sense of justice <laughs> i just have an overdeveloped one <laughs> yeah i you know I, I get what you're saying for sure all right those are all my questions for was that in the book i got one little question kind of for lost in adaptation just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Wow, was it lost? Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. Uh, so this isn't really so much a lost adaptation. I just wanted to, it kind of is. It made the most sense to put it here to me, um, is that I wanted to know um, if the book, so the film does this, this really interesting thing where it gives you very small pieces of the world and kind of slowly allows you to puzzle things together 
where you like it, the, the movie is not interested. I found it really fascinating how uninterested the film was in explaining everything. Um, it's, it's, it gives you just enough of the world and what's going on to, like I said, slowly piece things together. Uh, Cause you're, you're clearly just viewing, you're getting a slice of this world through mm-hmm. the eyes, very specifically of Kathy, but also Tommy and Ruth. Um, I think it works beautifully. I think it, I could see how some, audience like some people watching it might struggle with that and find it like kind of annoying that we don't know enough about like how how this world works but i think it gives you enough for the context of the story and i also just found it fascinating kind of slowly feeling like chunks of the world fall into place in my brain as we watch the movie and like oh okay oh i see what oh that's interesting um and i wanted to know if the book similarly you know doled out the world building and and the backstory of the world um as sort of meticulously and if it left it as vague because it wouldn't surprise me to know that the book maybe went into more depth and you get a little bit more information about the world and how it works than the movie gives you i mean there's definitely more information in the book just by nature of it being an an almost 300 page book versus an hour and 45 minute movie. Yeah. But I, it it is meted out very similarly to what the movie does. And I I do think Ishiguro does this quite masterfully in the book. It's, it's, it's parceled out in a way that gives you just enough until things start to click into place. Yeah. Um, and and it, it it's interesting to me, too, because I think it's something that's really difficult to do when you're world building is to to be able to approach it through the perspective of a character who's not new to that world in some way, because often it really helps when you're world building to have a character who's new, right? So you have an excuse to be explaining things like Harry Potter, classic example of this, right? Harry's new to the wizarding world. So we have this excuse to like, oh, what's this? What's that? How does this work? Um, But we don't have that here. No. Right. Kathy is our our perspective character and she has lived her entire life in this world. She knows nothing else. She she knows nothing else. But also, like, why would she be explaining it? Yeah, there's nothing to question. There's nothing to herself. You know, there's no reason for that. But I think it is handled really, really well in a way that still works. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the movie does a great job with it. And that's why I, like I said, I put it in lost in adaptation, but it's kind of like the opposite in the sense that like, I did not find myself wanting or needing more in the mm-hmm. film. Like, cause often lost in adaptation, I'm like, well, what is, yeah. you know, I, the question is like, okay, maybe the book has more background information about like why the world's this way or why, yeah. you know, or whatever. It really does not. Yeah. Well, and in this instance, I didn't care. Like I yeah. didn't, I didn't want to know. I didn't even want to know because I think I, I, I felt constantly like I had enough of what I needed to know. And I also loved not knowing, like I loved not only, I loved again, only seeing the world kind of through the eyes of our main characters and, and only in being able to interpret it the way they did kind of, mm-hmm. um, again, I, you get enough of a picture by the end of the film that you, you basically know what's going on roughly. 
Uh, and it also helps that it's not that different of a world. Like it's yes, uh, yes, yeah. It it looks like our world. It's basically our world, just with, with some big changes with, with forced organ donors. Yes. Like that's the main. Yeah. You know, like like it's not that outlandish. Like I can understand what's going on here, um, and I don't need. You know, it's not like Divergent where I'm like, wait, okay, but how is <laughs> how is this going on? Like you know, you don't like. There's yeah. not those big like, leaps. Yeah, in, like, you're not you're not sitting there going, but why? Yeah. Yeah, there's not that um, at all. Uh, it all kind of just tracks. And again, I like you said, and like we were just talking about, a big part of that is that it's very similar to our world. Yeah. And, it, and it doesn't seem, it's very close. It's just like the, the one conceit is, yeah, there's... There's clones, there's and clones that we farm organs, organs from. Donate, yeah. Donation, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a thing people have discussed. I've heard, you know, that's yeah. not a thing that is that outlandish already anyways. Um, like people have just, you know, obviously we we already are working on like growing organs and stuff right. like that. And the idea, and we can clone people and the idea of like cloning, you know, I, I think it's fairly outlandish that we would ever get to a point where we will, would do something like this, but it's not impossible. Um, yeah. and so it doesn't need a lot of explanation. Um, and so I think it works in that way. Uh, and maybe that makes it easier, uh, in the sense that we're, it makes it a little easier where you can leave things a little more kind of nebulous and vague and just give little pieces and stuff um, without making your audience kind of like question ever or without that resulting in your audience, like questioning everything um, and feeling kind of lost. But I, I, that being said, I just thought it was brilliantly executed. And again, I don't know how much of that was even intentional or really just honestly, it sounds like they're mostly just kind of following the blueprint that the book gave. Um, but it's also a thing that I think, Alex Garland is just very good at looking mm -hmm. at the rest of his movies, Ex Machina, um, Dread, Sunshine, all of those, you know, these sci-fi stories that exist in this universe. Very rarely in those stories was I ever, am I ever like, this doesn't what's really track, on? like yeah. trying to figure out like why the world is the way it is or what's, it, you know, however, whatever his magic secret sauce is for world building and like explaining things he's very good at it uh in a, at least for me maybe other audience other people it doesn't a, work i was for, a but. little confused watching annihilation see i even disagree yeah well now to be fair i read annihilation yeah. which i'm sure helped <laughs> in that regard that may have that may have been one where it's a little bit but like his other stuff that i've seen yeah. i did not have and i wasn't even i wasn't even like super confused in annihilation yeah. i was just mostly at the end i was a little lost yeah and that's another reason, again, that I mentioned in the prequel, but the, the Civil War movie he's working on that everybody's memeing on on the Internet. That's another reason that I'm very, I don't know if lenient is the right word, where I'm very, I'm giving him a big benefit of the doubt on that yeah. because he's so good at that world building and at um, setting up sci-fi and dystopian or whatever universes that just kind of work, uh, at least to me. Again, I think, and, and to a lot of audiences, obviously, the movies that I'm, we're discussing here are all very popular, critically acclaimed movies for the most part. So I think it works for most people. But I, again, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt there because it's just so good at it. And it's just I don't it, and it, it's so effortless seemingly like mm -hmm. it doesn't even seem like it's trying. It just kind of happens. Yeah. And I'm just it's like, fuck you. <laughs> it shouldn't be that easy. Uh, maybe it's not easy, but it just it seems like he does it so effortlessly. Anyways, all right, those are all my questions. It's time now to find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. So this, there's a scene in the movie that we see uh, really, really quickly where um, Madam is coming into the school and uh, she's like, 
scrunches herself in really tight yes. to avoid touching any of yeah, the yeah, girls. Yeah, yeah, um, And I, I was glad that the movie included that in some form. I thought it hit so much harder in the book. So in the book, what happens is that they're they're discussing Madam, and they're kind of discussing like, you know, what's her deal? Yeah. Because she's this mysterious person that just shows up every now and then and she takes their artwork and she doesn't really interact with any of them. And Ruth posits this, I think it's Ruth, posits this theory that Madam is scared of them. Mm. And they don't really understand why, but she's like, no, she's like, she's scared of us. Yeah. So they concoct this experiment that the next time Madam shows up, they're going to come like walk towards her as she's walking into the building and like go like kind of force her into close proximity with them. And before they do this, they're kind of all like like t- talking and joking with each other. And it's like this fun little game that they've come up with, you know, like kids do. Right. And then they do it. And the way that she reacts to them Kathy describes as like the way that somebody reacts to seeing a spider coming towards them, just like horrified and disgusted. Yeah. So they do it and she reacts like that. And then afterwards it's like all of the air is let out of the balloon with these girls. Mm. Like they're, they're just so deflated and it's so upsetting to have their, their hypothesis confirmed that like, Oh yeah, she actually is like, scared of us disgusted Hmm. by us whatever but that's not actually the case so what is it is is, the case oh is it yeah because there's there's a like a prejudice i don't know if prejudice is even the right word um with the clones in this and she cares about them like she cares about okay she cares about them and she she believes in this mission that her and miss emily are on but she's still like subject to that um the the societal prejudice yeah no that makes that make, yeah that makes sense Cause it, it, and it reflects i think some very real world kind of experiences of that that idea of you know there's 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 tons of people out there who you know really genuinely like want to help people want to donate money to blah 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 but like being around the people they would actually be helping yeah. is not something they're interested in yeah. because it's you know, they find them, you know, scary or repulsive or whatever. Like, I think that's a very real thing. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for example, like it's like, that's the whole freaking like, um, you know, nimbyism thing or like the, the, you know, there's, you know, say what you will about it's a complicated thing, but like the, like the whole thing in like California and stuff and like bigger cities in California and stuff where like, like with uh, unhoused problems and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, there's a lot of liberals in California talk a big game about, uh, and I'm, I'm using liberals here generally, whatever <laughs> um, talk, you know, obviously I, and genuinely do want to like help unhoused people yeah. and different genuinely do want to like, eliminate uh you know poverty and do these things to help people who are unhoused and all that sort of stuff but also do not want to see them do not want to be around yeah. them do not want you know like yeah. very much like um, for anyone who doesn't know nimby is, yes. is an acronym that stands for not in my backyard yeah and and and, and i think that's an interesting juxtaposition because i don't think either one of, i don't think the the desire to help the people is like ungenuine yeah. it's, it's 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 and and so it's an interesting like it seems like the book is kind of dealing with a similar idea there of like yeah, it's like the, I think the the desire to help and and do something 
for these people is genuine, but it's also kind of this, there's this almost this dissonance between mm-hmm. like what they want to do versus their like kind of natural reaction or just yeah. reaction. And, and or like, like this ingrained yeah. thing that they've been taught. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a quick scene in the movie after the sale when Tommy gets Kathy the tape, um, where she kisses him on the cheek. Uh, I wasn't super sure how I felt about that. I I get the movie's choice to include it, but I thought that being privy to Kathy's inner monologue and like watching her feelings for Tommy develop through that was more subtle and interesting Mm -hmm. than like showing it visually by having her kiss him on the cheek. Yeah. I also feel like maybe we didn't even need that in the movie because I already thought it was kind of obvious without yeah. it. But yeah, I would agree. I guess it, it's neither here nor there, really. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so we see in the movie um, Kathy listening to the song and like kind of like clutching like a pillow or a blanket and like swaying. Um, in the book, she's she's doing that. She's listening to it, um, and she's like dancing around the room, and she stops because she notices that madam is standing in the doorway and like watching her and crying and she can't figure out what was going on there for a really Mm. long time and then of course at the end of the book when we find out yeah like what they were trying to do that makes perfect sense um i was a little surprised that the movie yeah cut that yeah that would have been a really impactful scene i feel like one of the big things that i missed in the movie was the friendship politics between Kathy and Ruth while they're at Hailsham, particularly. It was absolutely fascinating to me how much Ishiguro managed to get completely correct about how complex female friendships can be during that part of your life. Yeah. Because if I had if I had read this book and I didn't know it was written by a man, yeah. I might have guessed it was written by a woman. Because yeah. like, there were parts of that that were so spot on. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that that felt like maybe the movie's biggest stumble to me. Because um, uh, I did really, I enjoyed, I really loved the movie overall. Um, I don't think it's like a perfect film or anything. Not that I like my, I, I was very good, but not like a masterpiece. I just thought it was like a well, really, really well-made film. But I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks for me in terms of like narrative and stuff was that mm-hmm. was that I don't think we got quite enough of the early relationship dynamics specifically between Kathy and Ruth, but really yeah. between all of them, but yeah. really specifically between Kathy and Ruth Um to really help the later stuff land. I, I think it still works. Like it's, it's not like it doesn't work. It, it obviously does. Cause I really liked it. But um, I think the, the last, you know, the end of the movie, the, the second and third act of the movie would have hit way harder if the first act had maybe been another 10 minutes longer. So the, the, from the movie split into like roughly three acts kind of. Um, and the first act is like their childhood. The second act is like their teenage years. And the third act is like quote unquote, their adulthood or whatever, mm-hmm. kind of. And I think if there had been like the movie's only an hour and 45 minutes long, I think if it had been two hours and we had yeah. added just a handful of more scenes, particularly in the first and second act, but mm-hmm. mainly the first and a little bit in the second to really round out some of their just a few more scenes between Kathy and Ruth, Ruth and Tommy, Tommy and Kathy or whatever. I just think it really would have made the final act land even harder yeah i agree there's the book spends much more time at hailsham yeah than the movie does which is interesting 
but yeah, because it's funny because I added my note here to your note because I that was the, the one of my main like I had that exact same thought upon watching the movie uh, when we finished. I was like, man, I feel like they needed a little bit more time. Uh, and it was interesting to see you because we didn't discuss this, but you wrote the exact thing mm-hmm. in, in your in your better in the book here that I felt would have improved the movie quite a bit. Um, and so, yeah, I actually would be really interested to see if there's a director's cut of this movie out there and what that looks like. If there is like a two hour version or, you know, that includes some of those early, early scenes or, you know, includes some more of that stuff in the early part of the film. But, um, so when they get to the cottages, um, in the movie, we see Kathy confront Ruth about, um, like uh, she squeezes Tommy's shoulders. Yes. Um, and Kathy's like, "Well, you're just copying something you saw on TV, yeah. and that's not really the way that people act." Um, and this is something that comes from the book: the idea that, like, while they're at the cottages, some of them are like copying behavior yeah. that they see on TV shows. I thought the reveal of that was more interesting in the book. It, I was a little confused initially when it happened in the yeah. film. I was like, wait, what are we? T- oh, OK. Like, yeah. So I would agree that I don't because I don't think it worked perfectly. Yeah, in the I, I don't think it like super landed in the movie because what happens in the book is that Kathy sees it's like a behavior that she sees Ruth doing that Ruth copied from Rodney and Chrissy, which is like um, it's not the squeezing the shoulder thing. It's like a, a light like like slap to the arm mm. for your significant other mm-hmm. like you know what i'm talking about like a like an ou yeah like, like a, a playful yeah like, like a playful little like whap whap to the arm um and she like cannot figure out why they're all doing this yeah. and then one night she's watching tv by herself and she sees somebody do it in the episode of tv that she's watching and it like clicks into place that they're trying to like mimic behaviors that they see on tv it's possible i missed it in the movie but i think this is a similar criticism to the last one where i think i think because from my memory in the movie this is all set up and paid off within like the same scene yeah like where they watch the thing on tv and then she sees them do it and confronts her about it where what would have worked better is if we had seen them do it Mm -hmm. then which may happen, and I may have just missed it. It's possible. I don't think it did. But if we had seen them do the action, then yeah. she sees the TV, has the realization, then sees them do it again, then confronts yeah, them. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, so, again, I think that's just another one of those things where if they, we had just had a little bit more time. Because I, I, I was not disappointed the movie is an hour 45, and I think it moves really well, but I mm-hmm. think it could have been two hours. Yeah, it, it could have been, been two fine. hours, and I think that would have improved yeah. some areas yeah. a bit. Yeah. But it was to be fair, it's only a marginal increase in, in like because it's already good. Like, I don't I don't think we're going from like a six out of 10 to a nine out of 10. I think we're going from like a seven, you know, an eight to like an eight point five or whatever. Like a very mm-hmm. marginal increase. But I think it could have definitely helped to have a little bit more of that. There's a recurring motif in the book that the movie uh, excises, which is that while they're at Hailsham, the kids have this like inside joke about uh I know I'm going to mispronounce this because I never get the British places right. Norfolk? Norf? Norf? I think it is Norfolk, but I I don't know. That's a tough one because it's funny because I was like Norfolk and then you said it and I was like, that can't be right. (laughs) But that was how I was saying. I always get them wrong. No, no, no. no, no. It was so funny though because the way you said it was how I was saying it in my head. I was like, it's probably Norfolk. And then you said it. I'm like, no, that can't be right. That sounds so wrong. So I don't know. Whatever it is. Because like Suffolk. Yeah, so Suffolk, Norfolk. Norfolk. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but they have this joke about that 
area yeah. being a place where all of their all like all the things that they lose when their kids yeah. ends up um which then ends up like tying back in at the end when she goes out when she's standing by the fence with mm. all of the the garbage yeah. um she's at the place where all of her lost things go yeah. and that that's where she is in the book oh. she drives out there um yeah, to think about up. all of the things that she's lost, uh, which, and you know, I think it still works in the movie. Like, yeah, it's fine. You don't need that setup. I thought it worked fine as yeah. it is, but, um, but I, I did think it was an interesting, like, kind of recurring. Yeah, motif. no, I think I think it would have been good to see it again. Yeah, it, I like I said, as the movie is, it works great. And we have a note about this later. We'll talk about it. I think because the the visual imagery is so strong in that scene that it doesn't need to be previously mm-hmm. established. But I think it could have been even stronger, maybe if we had, depending on how it was done. Um, there's a scene when they when they're there um, when they're looking for Ruth's possible where mm-hmm. Kathy and Tommy actually get to like go around by themselves um, and they go to like some secondhand shops and um, they're looking for her tape which oh, I'll, the, I'll yeah. talk more about in a minute mm-hmm. but I thought that was nice again I don't think that the movie needs it necessarily but I thought it was nice that they had that like time together. And I thought it worked well in the book. Yeah. Um, wasn't sure how I felt about the scene where Ruth comes into Kathy's bedroom, the horror movie scene. Oh yeah. Um. So uh, Ruth, uh, Ruth, I thought got a little shortchanged by the movie, maybe more so than the other two main characters. She was a much bigger bitch throughout the book. Mm. I, I, she's a pretty she's obnoxious pre- she's in the movie. Pretty obnoxious in the movie. I detested her for most of the book. She reminded me of every frenemy I've ever had. To the, so the movie ended up feeling like a little bit more of a heel turn to me, and it, it didn't it didn't quite land for me. That's fair. I will say this: I that obviously I can't compare it to the book. It worked for me. I felt I I didn't detest her for most of the the, the book or the film, but that I will say that that scene where she comes into her bedroom in the yeah in, in like the horror movie scene and like is like kind of taunting her and like being shitty did not feel out of character to me and felt right in line with kind of the weird um frenemy relationship that they have. So like to me, I thought it worked in the film and I again, I am not comparing it to the book so I don't know, mm-hmm. but I it did not feel out of line. It, it to me it did not feel like a like a kind of like a sudden heel turn. To me it just felt like a progression of their weird frenemy dynamic. Um so again, for me, it landed. So I think I think maybe if you have not read the book, it works maybe, um, yeah, maybe. a little bit better because I'm not, again, I'm just not comparing it to the book. But like I said, I, I also it's very different, obviously, uh, but I, I also thought she was pretty awful for most she's of the movie. pretty just she's just a bitch. Yeah, no, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the movie softens her a little bit. It, yeah, it, it, it no, sounds it, like, it does soften her. I think quite it softens a bit. her a little bit, but I don't think it's I don't think it softens her a lot because I think it's still there. Yeah. Like I said, I was the vibe I yeah. got from no, her character. It, it for was most of it the was movie. really interesting to read because like reading it, you know, as a thirty four year old, I was like, come on, Kathy, why are you friends with her? <laughs> yes. Um, but well, then, that's, like, how, that's how I felt watching yeah. the movie. I was like, come, why are you friends with her? But yeah. then, like thinking back, yeah. I'm yeah. like, oh, I had those yep. friends. Yeah. Yep. Not anymore, because <laughs> I'm an adult. Uh, they do go on a trip to see a beached boat in the book, 
But in the book, it came much further inland than what we see in the movie. It's in this like marshy area that's in the middle of like not a forest, but like kind of a a lightly wooded area, which to me sounds far more haunting. I will I will argue only in this so far in, in this regard. I think the imagery and the symbolism of it being right there on the beach is maybe a little more like cruel um, because obviously like I think there's a lot of things you can get out of that scene. But I think one of the things that really struck to stuck me about the scene is that it's this the, the boat is this kind of symbolism of freedom of mm-hmm. The ability, like, were were they to have a, a a working boat, they maybe they could sail away, mm-hmm. and 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 go, you know, seek greener pastures, like sail into the sunset. Maybe they find, you know, the new maybe, world, whatever. Yeah. Um, if they go to a country that's not growing clones, whatever. Yeah, that's what. I, yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> and so I think the the symbolism of having the, the it be right there where you can see the ocean. It's mm-hmm. so close. But this boat is just this rusted old, like, it, it's obviously not a functioning. This is like this old, beat up, rusted boat. But being so close to the, to, quote unquote, the the potential escape, like, the mm-hmm. you know, sailing to the Grey Havens or whatever. <laughs> like, 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 I think there's like a haunting. Um, I could see both. I'm just saying that I, just coming at it from the movie side, I found that visual uh, very striking in the movie of that, like, that false hope uh, ish kind of thing mm-hmm. of having it right there on the beach ocean stretched out behind them this stark like the 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 framing of it that we get that big wide shot where tommy's on the boat and the boat's kind of there on the shore and it's just like the ocean stretched out before them the potential the wasted potential um i don't know I think you could have done a similar and you could have evoked a lot of interesting other stuff with it being in a location more like the book i just want to say that i i I think there's I think the movie's version works really well, too, in its own way. That's fair. And I do like that interpretation. I will counter that by saying I was really looking forward to seeing what the book described. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, I'm not saying it's better. That's just that's uh, yeah, that's just what I got from that scene. And I I, I thought it was I thought it worked really well having it be right there on the Mm -hmm. beach like that. Uh, my final note here is about the scene where they're talking with Madame and Miss Emily. And I thought the scene in the movie was really effective, um, thought it worked really well. But I did like that it's a little it's just a little more fleshed out in the book, you know, as stuff usually is. There's just a little more to it. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, let's go ahead and find out what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson Hugo and not the one I thought it would happy endings only happen in the movies uh first thing like the first big like kind of big difference that I noticed was the tracking bracelets mm-hmm. that they all wear where they have to like beep in when they're coming and going yeah they basically their, like keeping track of yeah, their keeping, movements keeping tabs on them yeah. um that was if that was mentioned in the book I never caught it, um, but I thought that was a good world building detail that also just made perfect sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. of course, they're tracking. Yeah, of me. course, they want to know where. Yeah. yeah, when you're leaving and going and and coming and going. Yeah. There was a quick shot close to the beginning of the movie. I think in like the girls' dorm, 
at Hailsham where we see we zoom in on a close up of all these like creepy old dolls. I miss that. It was a really that. quick yeah. shot, but I really liked it. I thought it it worked well thematically because the, they are kind of like dolls. Yeah, you mean the kids? Yeah, like, the yeah. kids. Yeah. Uh, I liked the quick shot also of um, all of the kids like filing through and picking up like they all go through and pick up like a little bottle of milk and a little cup with like vitamins assume, or uh, yeah, something in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was a good shot. You don't see their faces. They're kind of just na- or you know faceless yeah. like moving through an assembly line. Yeah, kind and of everything feel. is all the the milk bottles and everything are lined up like very neatly. Yeah, yeah like an like I said, yeah. it's an assembly line. These they're a meat it's a meat factory. Yeah. Like, yeah. I like kind of liked Tommy being the one to get Kathy the tape at the sale. That is not the case in the book. She finds it on her own. Mm. Um and they they cut out a whole plot line where she gets the tape and then she loses that original tape doesn't know what happened to it and then later on when they're out looking for ruth's possible and there's that scene that i mentioned earlier when they're they're really going like secondhand shops and he's helping her find a replacement Mm. for the tape yeah so i thought that change made a lot of sense yeah um i I think it works fine Um, we kind of talked about the the tv show at the cottages earlier but i i thought there was a nice little subtle moment in there with Ruth, like, like all of the other kids would laugh at something that happened and she would laugh like slightly late mm. um, and mm-hmm. then kind of like glance back at them. Yeah. Um, just to show like I how much, it. yeah, like she really wants to be like them. She really wants to fit in. Yeah. Um, the scene, uh, jumping ahead here a lot. Um, the scene where, uh, Kathy is now working as a carer yeah, and she, she's at a hospital or she's at a hospital and she finds Ruth. Um, she like realizes that Ruth is at that hospital by see, she sees her like information up on a computer screen. Yeah. Um, and I liked that scene a lot better than how she finds out about Ruth in the book. Um, what happens in the book is that she runs into this other uh, former classmate of hers who's also working as a carer and this classmate is not doing so hot with that job and kind of like emotionally dumps on her. Mm. Um, and then says, she tells her that like, oh, Ruth is is at the center. You should apply to be her carer. Yeah. You ha- you got to apply to be her carer. You have to. You have to. Um, but I, I liked the more like kind of subtle moment where she sees her on the computer screen. Yeah. I thought it was pretty dark. And then, like, as she's talking to the nurse and yeah. the nurse is like, oh, I think she wants to complete yeah. um, with with this picture of Ruth in the background, just, just like staring like a skeleton. hollowly yeah. from the computer screen yeah. with like no life at all in her eyes. Yeah. I thought it was very effective. Mm-hmm. A little moment of Tommy being like awkward and like naively hopeful but also maybe trying to convince himself right yeah um he's talking about this guy he knows and he's like he just came through his third donation and he's totally all right yeah and then like smiles really big "Uh, he's just like ah totally uh, everything's fine uh, this is fine everything's fine exactly it's yeah it's the this is fine meme with the dog in the fire yeah 
So you mentioned earlier uh, the thing with Kathy and her desire for sex, Mm -hmm. where she talks about uh, in the movie how she has this, she gets these moments of like a tremendous urge to have sex and it's like overwhelming. Yeah. I, I thought the movie did a better job of kind of explaining why she was bothered by that. Because she talks about how, like, she's worried that it means she she was modeled on, like, a porn star, yeah. maybe. Um, or somebody, like, quote-unquote, less than desirable, right. which is another which, thing. Which that, we find out that all of them, supposedly, they yeah, say that they're she, all, Yeah, like, Ruth says that she... At least that's Ruth's theory, yes. is that they're, they're modeled after people who were considered disposable yeah. by society, right? Right. Um, so this, this plot point is in the book. I thought the book's versions of version of things got muddled because the, the, the book early on goes into like great lengths to explain that they actually do. And I didn't want to interrupt you while you were on a tear, but they actually, that they actually do get, a comprehensive sex education oh, at Hailsham in the book. Yeah, like very thorough, and hmm. we see a brief moment of of them explaining in the movie. Oh, do they? Like the teacher has like a skeleton up on the tabletop. I, I must have missed and that. And it's like demonstrating how you like lay down in missionary style. Oh, okay. It was like a blink and you'll miss it. Uh, yeah, I, see, I must have completely um, missed that. But the book goes to great lengths to explain that they get this like very comprehensive sex education. And so then it didn't like quite make sense to me initially why Kathy would be so bothered by it. And it just kind of I I think the book just like stretched it on for too long so that by the time we get to the explanation. It it just didn't all click together for me. Yeah. And so I thought the movie, by, like, kind of cutting some of that back, improved that particular plot point a okay. little bit. And the scene where uh, Kathy and Tommy have sex for the first time, I thought was pretty sweet in yeah. the movie, where she just, like, takes off her, her dress or whatever and, yeah. like, lays down with him. Yeah, it's very minimal. Like, yeah, you don't it's, s- it's very nothing. brief. You don't see There's, anything. Like, literally, you wouldn't even call it a sex scene because they I, literally, I mean, true. it's she implied yeah, that they have it's sex. It's implied, but, but... But it's not like, 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 Kathy, or with Ruth and Tommy, we do actually see them, quote-unquote, having sex. Like, we right. see that. This, they, it's like they, they lay down next to each other and kind of like kiss and then it cuts cuts it yeah um but i i thought it was very sweet whereas in the book i i thought it was a little bit awkward um because she she says in the book like she says that she put her hand down and she said she calls it his stuff (laughs) which which was another it's like it's another reason that I feel like the sex stuff in this book was a little bit muddled because like like I think the point was trying to show that she's still like kind of immature mm-hmm. um and she's like referring to his penis as his stuff yeah. right but then also they're supposed to have gotten this really great comprehensive sex education so I'm like wouldn't I don't know man uh, it's interesting yeah <laughs> Uh, my last note here is about the scene where Ruth dies. Yes. Because that was upsetting. Yes. Um, she dies on the operating table. Yeah. 
Um, and, and just like the stark contrast to everything you've ever seen in any other medical drama yes. where somebody's on the operating table and like the, the, the beeping starts. Yeah. There's just no reaction. Yeah, there's no it. reaction. There's no rush to resuscitate. They just leave her laying there like a slab of meat. Well, yeah, like which like is the, what she is. Her heartbeat stops, and they don't react. Yeah, they just finish doing the removing whatever organ, and then they just unplug her and like yeah. leave. And like it's like, yeah. let the janitor clean that one up. You know, like they literally, yeah, no that that scene, and then that moment, and then the moment where at the end where we're seeing um, Tommy go under for his fourth donation. And there's the moment where uh, they, they like give him the, you know, like the drugs to like put him under or whatever. And the moment his eyes shut and he goes out, they just like start manhandling him. Yeah. And it's they're both just so brutal. And now, to be fair, that is, from what I understand, not entirely untrue to real life. Where <laughs> They are not exactly, uh, you know. <laughs> precious with you while you're under anesthesia and they're like doing surgery stuff um but that being said i i think there's i think the implication we're definitely supposed to get out of that scene is that like as soon as he he goes under they like grab his neck and like wrench his head around and start mm-hmm. like doing whatever they need to do in a very kind of cold and uh callous way and it's very reminiscent again similar to the um the scene where where ruth does die um, very intentional and very gets very effectively gets the point across um, with zero dialogue, zero anything, zero just showing us a handful of moments from this world, and you get everything you need to know about mm-hmm. what how this all works and uh, how the how the the world uh, sees these these clones these people. Yeah. All right, we got a handful of things in the movie. Nailed it. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Um, we see a little scene close to the beginning of Ruth and Kathy playing horses. Um, very similar to what happens in the book. Um, I think they're playing like pretend horses, like they're mm-hmm. pretending to ride horses yeah. in the book, but uh, pretty similar. Uh, the cigarette thing yeah, yeah. Um, from the beginning. The, the, now, the big difference is that in the book, um, they're just talking about cigarettes. There's not like, oh, we found some cigarette butts yeah. on the ground. Um, but the particularly the bit about like, it's super important that you guys keep yourselves healthy yeah, inside. No smoking, no being um, Like that whole thing is yeah. straight from the book. Yeah. Uh, Miss Lucy telling Tommy that creative, being creative isn't important straight from the book um ruth's outburst about them being modeled from trash as she says uh, mm, yeah, yeah. To look in the gutter if you want to find who we're modeled after yeah that whole thing um and then an- another particular line that when ruth is talking later um when she's very being very cynical about the donation process and she's talking about how um after the fourth donation there's still plenty more and they just keep taking and taking until they switch you off. Yeah. Uh, Tommy's weird little animal drawings yeah. that he does. I thought the I thought the movie was going to cut that because it had not come up yet yeah. when they were at the cottages. Uh, but then it, it does, it does come up mm-hmm. when we get his, his little animal drawings. Yep. 
Uh, Miss Emily and Madame are a lesbian power couple. Yeah, that was a fun surprise. <laughs> I, I was like, that why was is she fun, there? That was a fun surprise in the book, too. That was like, oh, oh. Yeah, she got wheeled out from. I was like, why was she in Madame's house? Wait, oh, I guess that's what's going because on. Because they were roommates. Yeah, they were roommates. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the fence at the end with all of the trash stuck to it. Uh, Kathy imagining that if she waits long enough, Tommy will turn up there too. Yeah, I actually almost asked about that because I, I thought that was just brilliant visual symbolism there at the end. Um, I did wonder if that particular uh, visual motif came from the book of the trash, like the barbed wire fence with the, mm -hmm. the trash stuck to it. Because um, in particular, we get the the, the close up of like two bits of like plastic. Yeah, they should have what they should have done. is They should have started playing. uh plastic bag by Katy perry that would have been the God. perfect song to go out on <laughs> do you ever feel <laughs> no but um like we get the close-up of the two the two pieces of plastic kind of like blowing in the wind stuck on the fence and just that visual um i mean it's not an original idea dust in the wind is literally the but mm -hmm. like that idea of like you know the, the very fleeting moments of life we get kind of there the, there are these the way I interpret that, at least, is that these these bits of the, the plastic stuck on the fence are, you know, uh, our lives. It's it's you, you're blown through on carried through on the wind, similar to Forrest Gump, carried through, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and very briefly, you land and are stuck in this place, mm -hmm. our life on Earth, caught in the fence for however long until, boop, you know. Yeah, you get blown. Actually, I was ex actually expecting the plastic to like blow off the fence before the shot ended and it <laughs> didn't. I was actually glad it didn't because I would have felt a little too on the nose. But um, but again, I the, like that. That symbolism, I thought, was just, again, not super subtle, but not like crazy. Yeah. On the nose. Yeah. Um, just just effective. Well done. Um, Kind of visual metaphor that I thought worked really well. So is it interesting to know it came from the book? Mm -hmm. All right, we got a handful of odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. Um, I thought this movie did a really good job casting baby Carrie Mulligan. Yes, I had the exact same note. I said young Carrie Mulligan is a dead ringer yeah. for Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, really, really great casting. I honestly thought that the same for Kira Knightley. Young Kira Knightley had a looked very not as yeah, much, not as good, but still but very pretty good. good. I, I will say the Andrew Garfield one not yeah, not as much didn't really look. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as close, but it was so funny. <laughs> I looked up that actress who did played young Carrie Mulligan. She made a whole career playing young other actresses. Oh for, yeah, the, like like you go through her IMDb, it's just young this person, young this person, young this person. And it's like, oh my god, I can't even remember who some of the other ones was. Charlize Theron was one. Mm. Uh, there was like a handful of like she was in a, a handful of movies in mm. the, in this period from like 2009 to 2012 or 13, where she just played young versions of like famous movie stars, and I thought it was very funny. Not a sustainable career, <laughs> no. but yeah. Uh, the uh, I, I blew my mind and I don't know how I recognize it, but it was so funny um, when they get to the cottages, we get mm -hmm. this establishing shot, establishing shot of the cottages. And I was like, I recognize I know that that set from somewhere. It's not a set. It's a real location. But I was like, I know that location. And then immediately I was like, that's the freaking farmhouse from Children of Men. Yeah. Where the fishes like bases or whatever that they uh, that he takes. Um, I can't remember any of their names, but no, where he takes the girl, either. the pregnant yeah. girl, too. 
Um, and it's funny because the farm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they just used that whole set in Children of Men or that whole location because I'm pretty sure the farm where she's reading the porno mags mm-hmm. is the farm house where he sees uh, the pregnant girl for the, or mm. her pregnant. Like where for the, she shows him that yeah, she's pregnant. I, yeah. I think that's the same farmhouse. It looked the same to me. But in distinct, particular, or the same barn, in particular, the farmhouse that has that big bay window. Yeah, the big green window. Very noted, recognizable, um, specifically from, from Children of Men. But I looked it up. It is that. It's also in 28 Weeks Later, um, which actually has a, a, a Rumpelstiltskin in it. Because oh, it was funny, I was looking up photos from 28 Weeks Later of that location, and they're all photos of that, act- uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays Rumpel mm. Stillskin, um, like running around there. Um, it's apparently called Stocker's Farm, and it's located in Rixmansworth, uh, Hertfordshire, uh, and <laughs> just outside of London. Uh, but it's also been in Downton Abbey, With Nail and I, Bridget Jones, Edge of Reason, Peep Show, Midsummer Murders, and a bunch of other, mm. like it's been in tons of stuff. It's just like a very popular filming location. Good on them. Yeah. Uh, I really loved the wardrobe in the cottages section where they're all wearing like kind of distressed like sweaters and like slouchy things. It's so it's just so cozy, so cozy and slouchy, mm-hmm. which is a great contrast to what's going on. Yes, this is true. It's very true. And it's so funny though they mentioned it or now I think about it. There's a shot where they're standing at the cottages. I'm pretty sure they're standing at like a window and it's like. We're, mm-hmm. we're look, it's like in the kitchen or something and it might even be the big bay window i'm not sure they're standing at some window and the light was coming through and this is before we saw the outside i think and i was like man this reminds me of children of men like the cinema <laughs> like the lighting and stuff and then we see it i was like oh my god it's literally the same thing <laughs> like, oh, this is very funny but we, you mentioned the horror movie scene but that reveal it got me so good i think you were looking down taking a note when it happened but the shot where uh um Kathy is sitting in bed listening to her tape like yeah. on loud because they're having sex or whatever. And then the camera cuts around and Ruth is just silhouetted in the doorway, yeah. like leering, like a literally like the like the ring girl or something. <laughs> like her hair is like lank hanging down. It's just horrifying. Horrifying. And then the way that whole scene plays out is very horror movie. And I and it made me think of because I remembered from the prequel, we talked about some review where somebody was like, oh, um, it's an effective horror because it doesn't realize it's a horror. And I was like, I think this movie knows it's a horror movie in some ways. Uh, but you were, I yeah. think you were correct. Yeah, I think it. the review you're thinking of, I think, was actually a book review. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, I and the it, yeah. reviewer had said that the book was a perfect horror novel because the characters yes. don't realize. Which kind of goes back to our novel. previous discussion about the final monologue and everything. Yeah. And about yeah. And I, yeah, that is correct. But yeah, I was like, I think the movie definitely knows because that is shot yeah. exactly like a horror. Like that is not an accident that that is shot like a horror movie <laughs> not uh not accidental that that happened people we've read in some of the reviews in the prequel people talking about how good andrew garfield was everybody's mm-hmm. great in this movie yeah, every performance yeah. is good but andrew garfield is incredible in this movie um lots of little moments uh, you mentioned some of them but one in particular that really got me was when he's later in the film um he's been practicing his art and he's showing they're gonna go show um madam his art to see if they can get a deferral and he's showing it to kathy and she like compliments his art and Mm -hmm. the way he says thank you in response to that i feel like you could write a thesis on like (laughs) how to act Uh, it's it's incredible there's so much conveyed in like those two words and the way he delivers it 
Like it, I literally almost cried just watching that. I just, oh my God, it got me so good. Uh, I, like I said, I think he's just absolutely incredible in this. And, and that's again, saying a lot because everybody is very good, but he's just he's doing uh, the most with his role. The thing to me that this whole story was missing was any kind of whisper of resistance to the system. And I get that it's not the point of this particular story, but like the more that I thought about it, like as I was reading, I was like, where's the like the clone underground railroad where people are like smuggling them out of the donation system or stories about clones rebelling by like drinking and smoking? Because that's what I I would do. That would have been super. I I agree with this in general, but I think that would have been really interesting. And I think there's a very obvious opportunity with it when they're at the cottages and they're like going out when they're basically unsupervised for them. That's when I would become a chain smoking alcoholic. Yeah. Like you want my organs? Crack me open. You'll be real disappointed. And I think there would be a lot of really interesting dynamic there because of the way they're already kind of awkward with interacting with the yeah. world for them to inter- and and they don't really know much like like the whole th- interaction between Donald Gleason and them about like the deferral system they're like we don't know what you're talking about and like so that because they're so um kind of sheltered and and so um I think them encountering somebody yes who like you said was like they they they're they're at a, they're out in the world and they run into somebody who's another clone and that like you said the person is like chain smoking and like drinking and like and is yeah. like super kind of similar to how Ruth is later like super cynical and like but like in a more actively protesting way yeah. would have been very interesting um and I don't th- I think you could have done that without taking away from because I agree. I, yeah, your point. I, I agree with your point that it's not what the story is doing, and so like you don't want to make it like a whole side plot or anything, right? But even just one brief encounter with somebody to give that, because you do think that for sure there would be people. For like sure, that. there would be people doing that. That was the first thing I thought yeah. of. I'd be like, I would be doing meth. Right. Like, yeah. Fuck you, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it would have been interesting. And again, yeah, it, it, you have to find it because, again, very clearly not the point, very yeah. clearly not the story that was trying to be told. Yeah. But it would I think there's a way to work something like that in that feels like it would have very readily or very obviously been a thing that happened and have it be something that kind of plays against the dynamic that our characters have and, mm-hmm. and their journey and stuff like that. I think it could have been really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's a totally different book. Yeah. But I, I think that that book set in the same universe would be really interesting. Yeah, And and again, like I said, I think there is a totally different book that focuses more on that or even has a side plot of that. But again, I don't think you have to have it go that far. I think just even just bumping up against that other book, (laughs) like, like our book bumping up against that book. That is like this more like interesting thing about like the rebellion and like what, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the fight against the system and stuff, just our, characters even just brushing against that briefly yeah to kind of see how it affects our characters would have been and i don't think it even really you i don't think you ultimately have it change much of anything no about no but it it could be something that sparks some of where ruth's kind of cynicism comes from or something you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it could do something well and i think even just even if it doesn't like spark anything or like spur any of our characters to like take different actions yeah. necessarily, I think it could be an interesting parallel just to have them encounter someone who's like smoking, drinking, whatever is an interesting parallel to like when you do grow up very sheltered, 
the first time yeah. that you encounter like, someone yeah. who engages in any kind of rebellious behavior and you're kind of, and speaking as someone who was pretty sheltered you know you you encounter that person and you're kind of just like i didn't know that was an option right yeah yeah no i agree i think that would have been really interesting my last note here that i thought was kind of interesting and i have to confirm this by like watching it again and i didn't have time to um, is that I at the beginning before the credit, like during the opening, there's not really opening credits, but briefly before the movie starts, we get these like panels of color mm-hmm. and then are like these these like frames of different colors. They're like very muted colors. It's like a it's like a sand, like a purple, like a teal and like a I don't know, there's like a handful of different colors. And then at the end, during the credits, those colors repeat like we get those same colors again. And they kind of cycle through. I think those colors are also each time we time travel or time travel each time we move through yeah. time and like hit a different stage of the story uh as the film is broken up i think like that color reflects i think we actually get a frame that frame of color mm-hmm. um in the film in that moment and it also reflects kind of like where they are like and somehow it's like i'd have to go again i this is something i only kind of noticed during the end credits i was like oh wait maybe they were doing something with those colors and i just didn't have time to go back and and look at it again um but I think there's something there. I would be really interested to go see because I think it's I think kind of like the life cycle and like the kind of following it and just that. I don't know. It's interesting. I want to go back and look at that more and see what's going on there. If you happen to know, if you notice that, uh, feel free to drop a comment and we'll talk about it in the, the next prequel. But anyways, and then my last note was just that the score for this film is stunning. I thought it was fantastic. We talked about in the prequel um, that the woman who scored it uh, like won the Oscar first woman to win an Oscar for best original score for not this movie, a different movie. But um very effective, very um, just emotional, like emotionally resonant at all the right times. It's maybe a little overwrought. I don't want to say overwrought because the whole film's kind of overwrought, but <laughs> in a way that I think works. But mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's very emotionally manipulative uh, intentionally and in, in a way that I think works. Um, but I, I just I thought it was a I thought it was a great score. So. All right, before we wrap up, wanted to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, any of those places. Uh, follow us, like us, whatever you got to do so you see our posts, because we would love to see what you have to say about Never Let Me Go. Very interested to get people's thoughts on this one. This is one of those, you know, one of those films, books, whatever, where there's lots to talk about, lots to get from it, and it's all very dependent on <laughs> you as a person has to has to say about it um so we would love to hear what you have to say uh find us on those social media platforms and let us know if you want to do us another favor you can head over to apple podcast spotify google wherever i don't even know what even wherever you're listening to this podcast drop us a little five-star rating write us a nice little review helps the show get out to more people we'd appreciate that and then finally if you really want to support us you can head over to patreon.com slash this film is lit support us there for a few bucks a month at two dollars you get access to early release ad free $5 you get access to that plus bonus content every month we put out a bonus episode last month we did um enchanted, enchanted. Uh, and this month uh very shortly here we will be doing our episode on fighting with my family fighting with my family there you go uh every month we do a different thing uh not book related just kind of whatever we want to talk about uh, and do a little little little, little bonus episode for it. Uh, we're actually going to, and we can just tease this now. We're actually going to put out one of our previous bonus episodes on the main feed uh, soon here, so that everybody can kind of get a taste for what that's like. Um, and that will be on the menu. Uh, we let our patrons vote on what they wanted us to put out on the main feed for everybody to kind of get a, a little taste for and see 
you know, what those episodes are like. Uh, and if you want to come over and support us on Patreon to get more of those. Um, so the episode on our review slash discussion on the menu will be out. I don't know, sometime Some soon. Point. <laughs> sometime here in the next week or two. So look out for that on the main feed. Uh, and then, yeah, get the fighting with my family review over on Patreon. And finally, if you support us for $15 a month, you get access to all that stuff. Plus priority recommendation, which is that means that if there's something you would really like for us to talk about a book, a movie, well, it has to be both, obviously. <laughs> um, if there's a book movie that you would like us to really talk about, you can suggest it. We'll support us for $15 a month. We'll add that as high up on our list as we can in our schedule um, and work that in. And this one was a patron request from Steve from Arizona. There you go. So thank you very much, Steve from Arizona. This is as far away from sci-fi as you've gotten, but it's still sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> I say that. It, he it might is, have recommended it, something other than sci-fi. I think sci-fi, it, it is maybe the most notable departure-ish from sci-fi. I'm trying to, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There may be something else that I'm not remembering that he... I don't. I don't always remember which things were yeah, yeah, yeah. by I, which patrons. Once we're far enough removed, so I don't remember be very who. Wrong. Yeah, but I, I think this may be the most re- removed from sci-fi. But it's still kind of sci-fi. So there you go. All right, Katie. It's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. Never Let Me Go is one of those rare cases where I think the book and the movie are pretty close to even. If you're a fan of the book and you've never seen the movie, you're probably going to like it. Likewise, if you're a fan of the movie but you've never read the book, definitely give it a shot. The movie is a lovely, well-crafted film. The overall art direction is warm and cozy, a fun contrast to the story being told. The performances are stunning and the script is a deft handling of the source material. However, as with many adaptations that we cover, the movie suffers from the fact that it's not a book. The book is able to cover much more ground in terms of the characters' backstories and their time at Hailsham. It's able to show us all of the complex intricacies of the relationships between Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy. It can spread out the world building in an interesting, subtle way that the movie can't quite accomplish. And of course, the real heavyweight being privy to Kathy's inner monologue and most intimate thoughts. In this case, I would genuinely recommend both the book and the movie. But for me, Ishiguro's writing elevates the book beyond the film. This one goes to the book. There you go. Katie, what's next? Up next, we are covering something that I am so excited to cover. Uh, we are going to be talking about Beastly, which is a young adult novel by Alex Flynn and its 2011 film adaptation, which is not very good. <laughs> Similarly, uh, very, we're staying right in the same lane here, right? Right in the same wheelhouse of both style of literature and film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And quality, yeah, for quality sure. And, and um, I am so excited to cover this. Um, I have been wanting to cover this one basically since we started doing this podcast. Yeah, no, I, it'll be interesting. I, I know very little of it. I think I've seen some people talk about the movie yeah. before, but I know almost nothing about there it. There were, um, I have, I have read this before and I have seen the movie and there were some choices made. Fantastic. I'll say that much. Can't wait. That'll be our next episode in two weeks time. We're talking about beastly in one week's time. 
Uh, we'll preview Beastly, but uh, we'll also hear what you all have to say about Never Let Me Go. So make sure you head over to social media uh, and give us all that information. Oh, by the way, you can also email us. Not that we, anybody ever would, but you could. <laughs> this are, film are is you lit. checking the email because oh, I'm I not. That. Never mind. Don't email us. I don't look at the email. I thought maybe you did occasionally. No. Okay, maybe we got some email. Oh, God, I'll go back and scroll through there. <laughs> Never mind. But yeah, head over to any of the social media platforms, uh, drop us a little message. If you don't, for whatever, I guess this is the way I could say it. If for whatever reason you don't want your, ah, but you're going to, we're going to read it on the thing. Never mind. <laughs> if you want to be anonymous for some reason, yeah. you can send us a message. I yeah, guess send us point. a DM if you want to be anonymous and we'll just say that you're an anonymous yeah. contributor. I guess that was my point. It's like, if you wanted to send us a, something and yeah, if you want to send us something and don't want to be, uh, have it attached to your name or whatever, you can, you can just DM us and we will read it anonymously. Not that, whatever. If that, if that were something you wanted to do, that's going to do it until one week's time. When we hear what you all have to say about never let me go until that time, guys, gals, non binary pals, and everybody else keep reading books, keep watching movies and, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.